This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Carlson, Carlson, världens bästa Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, hoj här kommer Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, ingen faktiskt, ingen annan Carlson. Carlson, är så bra som mig. Carlson, Carlson, Carlson scores! Carlson, yeah. Carlson, världens bästa Carlson. Yes, welcome everybody. Another episode of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast, the best fantasy hockey podcast in the world, hosted by two guys on Eric Carlson in their keeper pools. Not that he's helped that much this year. But regardless, I am very excited for this week's episode. I am Elon Dubrovsky, the host of the show, and with me is my co-host and the fantasy hockey robot and the one who knows all the ins and outs of fantasy stats and advanced stats and ins and outs and what have you. Brian Kahn, let's do this. I especially I especially specialize in the what have yous of fantasy hockey. That's where I really shine. Elon, I'm pumped to go. You're wearing a hat tonight. I'm wearing a hat tonight. If you, dear listener, are wearing a hat, then we've got a little Keeping Carlson hat trick right there. Doing our own Brendan Perlini and Vinny Hinestroza impressions. Oh, okay. Well, I don't know if they were wearing the hats, but I get what you were saying. I, I love the intro, Brian. What is your hat? You got a B on there? But I, I think that's not a Bruins hat, right? No, it's a it's a B stylized like the O for the Ottawa Senators. So it's the the first letter of my name, of course, oh. but it's also for the Belleville Senators. But it's more for Brian, just like custom made Senators styling. That's cute. I was actually thinking of getting a hat for my wife, Dina, and I was thinking we should get her a Dallas Stars hat with like a big D on it. And it could be like the same idea. It's, it's a fun little trick to get someone to wear a hockey hat when uh, maybe they don't give a shit about hockey. But OK, Brian, let's get going. Whoa. There goes our clean rating. There we go. Drop the S-bomb. Hey, you know what? Everything's changed now. We just got a one-star review on iTunes, so I'm just like letting it all go. But okay. <laughs> we got a big show today. We got a lot to get to. Uh, only, I think, three weeks left in the season. A lot of people going into either their finals next week or maybe their semifinals, depending on your league format. And we're going to, again, be taking lots of looks at the schedule, trying to see who's worth holding, who's worth dropping. I've got a lot of players who are like high-end players that have been on cold streaks, but actually just heated up recently, which I think is an interesting thing to go over. Like, do we trust that they just, like, you know, a guy who, like, was pointless in five finally got a goal yesterday. Does that mean we could trust him to keep it going or not? So Brian's going to dig into all the, you know, underlying numbers to figure it out. Before we get going, of course, DauberHockey.com, right? We're presented by them. It's the best fantasy hockey website out there. It's such a treat to be able to say every week that we're presented by this fantastic site. I check it out every day for the articles and plus all the tools. I'm just always there looking at the starting goalies and the line combinations. Brian's laughing, I'm assuming, because of something going on in the chat room here. But yeah, DauberHockey. It's just that you check out Dabra Hockey for the same reasons you check out Playboy. Wait, what? What's that? For the articles. Oh, okay. Very good. I mean, no one knows what's in your head. You're just laughing. <laughs> People might think that you're like, he checks out Dabra Hockey? What a, what a loser. But no, where else would you go? Because like I said, it's the premier site out there for fantasy hockey news and notes and stats and tools. Okay, Brian, 
let's get going. Like I said, I want to get into some of these uh, like cold streaks. The thing is behind the scenes here for keeping Carlson every week when I'm prepping the show, the way we do, I don't like sit down Sunday morning and start thinking about what are we going to talk about this week? I sort of all throughout the week, I'm keeping little buckets of, you know, injuries and outjuries and hot streaks and cold streaks. Whenever I think of a player, someone asks us on Twitter or on Facebook about a player. And if I think it might be interesting to talk about, I'll throw them in my bucket. And then on Sunday, I'll put it together. And all the players I had in my cold streak bucket had actually done well, finally, just yesterday or on Friday. So then I was thinking, should we not talk about these guys? But I thought, like I said, let's talk about them, see what we're going to do here. So let's start with an easy one over in san jose brent burns went pointless for four straight games we had a question i think it was from zach or someone in our facebook group was like should i sit burns for saturday's game it just seemed so obvious like no you can never sit sit burns but again four pointless games in a row that's not great like you went into your potential like playoff semifinals and maybe lost because brent burns didn't do anything for you he finally did pick up an assist yesterday on joe thornton's goal in the 4-2 loss to nashville uh, but yeah, not a great week, but Brian, what can we do moving forward? And also just in general, it's a nice time to talk about Brent Burns because even with that cold stretch, he's a 34 year old dude and he's got 74 points in 72 games. Now he's having a career year. His career high is 76 points. It's just two points away from it. And he's still got 10 games to go. Of course, like I said, that didn't help the people last week, but overall, like there's nothing to say, right? Like Brent Burns is fine. He's probably the best defenseman that you can own in fantasy right now. It was just a bad luck stretch. Nothing to worry about, right? Maybe just like the long season taking a toll on someone. Yeah, this one's a slam dunk. Don't worry about Brent Burns. I mean, yes, you always have to wonder. Uh, he's 34 years old, so his durability has to be in the back of your mind if you're an owner, especially if you see uh, some of the points disappearing. Uh, what's incredible for him is that he's still playing 25 minutes a night, so maybe that wears on Brent Burns to some extent. But actually, I thought the question was going to be, Elon, uh, how has Brent Burns managed to have a career year as a 34-year-old? I think that's the real headline here. Not that he was cold for four games, but that he is set. Uh, he's on a career high point pace. And it's really a curious question as to whether Brent Burns has like found another gear or has been getting more luck than he's used to. And the short answer is that at five on five, Burns has declined somewhat in his individual play. Uh, he's putting fewer shots towards the net has his lowest uh, expected goals rate since breaking out as a high-end blue line option in 2013-14. But to wash that out, Brent Burns has never been surrounded by a more complete, capable, and offensively dangerous set of players before in his career. So while Burns' own shot-taking and goal-scoring has slipped, he's had so many more goals scored while he's been on the ice to get in on. He's been on the ice already for 74 goals at 5-on-5 this year, and that's just one less than his career high of being on the ice for 75 goals for at five on five. So you combine that with him also putting up the second highest rate of secondary assists in his career. And Kablamo, you've got a career year for 34-year-old Brent Burns. So, I mean, obviously the next question is, can he do this again? I think you need to get used to, or even like over the next 10 games, uh, get used to the idea of Brent Burns being limited uh, to like 10 or 15 goals rather than entering the 20 goal range and approaching the 30 goal range as he has done in recent years. This is like a little almanac preview here. So yeah, expect less goal scoring from Brent Burns going forward. And then whether he can keep approaching 70 points on the whole going forward, there's a lot to watch in San Jose this offseason. We know that Carlson is a UFA, but so is Joe Pavelski. So is Joe Thornton. So is Eunice Donskoy, uh, Kevin LeBanc, Timo Meyer, both restricted free agents. So whether or not this group can stay together 
is going to determine just how dangerous Burns' team can remain while he's on the ice next year. But his value is sky high right now, even with that little power outage. And mad props, as the kids say to Brent Burns, for having a career year at age 34. Wow. Yeah, he's amazing. I guess that makes sense. But you're saying like maybe next year he'll approach 70. This year, like I said, he's approaching above 80 points. So we'll have to see what happens moving forward. It is interesting because a lot of people who listen to the show are in keeper leagues. And I feel like someone like Brent Burns is going to have such low value because people love to think long, long term. But once again, Brent Burns, one of the top fantasy options out there, especially because the value of a replacement for defensemen, it's so hard to find a defenseman who could give you all of the things, like all the shots, all the points that Brent, power play points that Brent Burns gives you. It's so hard to match. So yeah, going into next Next year, I feel like if you're in a deep keeper league and you could get him for cheap because people want to have the younger, hotter options, like just get him every year. Because I feel like even if he gradually decreases, I feel like someone like him, he's not just going to fall off a cliff unless, like you say, San Jose just loses all their talent. But I have a feeling that this is a team that's going to keep trying to go for it. Uh, Yeah, like he's not going to fall off a cliff. So maybe like this year he gets 80 points. Next year, maybe he gets like 70, 75. Maybe after that, he gets like 65. Even like a 60 point defenseman is super valuable in fantasy. So I feel like you still have many years of a valuable Brent Burns, unless you'll tell me that you think he's just going to one day like go from like 60 points one year to like 30 points the next that's not likely to happen but it is funny because i'm thinking long term sell high if you can sell him as a 75 plus point guy and get that kind of return back in a keeper league which of course is going to be hard because everybody knows how old brent burns is but i would do that uh elon you're saying maybe he's still gettable for very good value if someone is is thinking that he is old and busted and this is their last chance to recoup assets for him so we're in this funny situation i am very curious if you are involved in a brent burns trade in a keeper league this offseason let us know i'd be really curious to see how those are going down and like you said brian san jose is scoring all these goals which means there's other defensemen getting in on them like there's no eric carlson right now to get in on them and so we've been talking about mark edward vlasic and tim heed getting points when i say we've been talking about them i mean like the overall community because all of a sudden these are two players getting a lot of points lately vlasic is up to six points in his last four games i'm curious if you see anything there that looks sustainable tim heed he was getting healthy scratched most of the season but he's now played in nine straight games i'd imagine carlson being out of the lineup helps and he's got six points in the nine games that he's played recently so these are two guys getting in on all of these sharks goals i guess some def- there's always two defensemen on the ice right and so it makes sense that these guys uh, as the ones maybe the the most offensively minded ones after burns makes sense that they're going to get points do you think that these are good guys to stream in in leagues when people need defense um Sort of, like just by virtue of the fact that they're on such a high scoring team, but I'm not seeing anything terribly sustainable from Vlasic or Tim Heed, or as I think our Swedish friends have told us, it's pronounced Tim Head. Uh, Anyway, uh, Vlasic did just recently start playing with uh, Tim, I'll call him Heed, recently after pretty much playing a full year alongside Justin Braun. Um, And then so I checked, well, is Vlasic doing more with Heed than he was without Heed? And the answer is no. It's about the same as what Vlasic was doing with Justin Brown, except that Vlasic and Heed have an on-ice shooting percentage of 21% when they're playing together, which is why they're being able to collect these points, and also which is why it's not going to continue for either one of these guys in terms of putting points on the board. Not someone I'm very excited to stream. I think you've got some more interesting streaming candidates coming later in the show on the blue line. 
Yeah, okay. So just, yeah. So for people curious what's going to be happening here, we're going to go through some more of these players who were on Cold Streaks, and then we're going to end the show with a huge slew of interesting, probably available players on Hot Streaks, both forwards and defense. And so stay tuned for that. And right now, Brian is saying Vlasic or Tim Head are at the bottom of his list, even though they're the only ones we brought up so far. Okay, let's go now to Buffalo. It's a really tough situation, I think, for people owning Sabres players with the Sabres playing only Wednesday and Saturday next week. I know Dave Benton, who's in the chat room right now, was on the show last week did an amazing job he would say that's all that matters next week but i will just point out that buffalo does play five games the following week so if you can somehow make a pass next week we're gonna be having a totally different conversation but you got to get through uh an elimination playoff round to get there and there's a lot of players who have been slumping big time lately like sam reinhardt he ended a six game pointless streak yesterday with an assist on a jeff skinner first period goal but then nothing today in the 4-3 uh, shootout win over st louis and jeff skinner rather that goal that he scored yesterday that ended a four game pointless streak for him and he had no points today either we also have Rasmus Dahlin, who's been quarterbacking the top power play, like getting great deployment. But his assist today was his first in nine games. He had an eight-game pointless streak going into today. So, you know, aside from Jack Eichel, who, by the way, came back from his suspension to play both games on the weekend, took a lot of shots in both of these games, but no points for him. Like, what do you do if you own, like, any Sabres player? And by the way, that includes the goalies, who at this point, it seems like Hutton and Allmark just keep on taking turns and none of them are playing that well to earn the job. So I feel like there's a question. It's reasonable to ask, like, do you drop every single Sabre, I guess, except for Jack Eichel going into next week if you're wanting to be competitive? and Because, you know, Wednesday, Saturday schedule, Saturday you're full anyways, so you'll be able to play someone else in that spot. And, like, probably you have better options than someone like Sam Reinhardt, maybe even Jeff Skinner with how cold they've been. So we're really talking talking like you lose one game by dropping one of these guys you could drop them for someone playing like four times right so a lot of this depends on schedule and if that's true for you if you can gain three games played net and downgrade your player a little bit then that can often work out for you right especially if you're looking at guys like Skinner and Reinhardt and Ristolainen and Darlene who have night in night out not been reliable producers lately in fact no one in Buffalo has in the last month the Sabres have just 31 goals over 15 games they're shooting barely six percent as a team in that span which is unsustainably low uh, of course it's hard to think that the absence of Eichel didn't profoundly affect the Sabres during this stretch particularly while they were shut out for three straight games two of those games were at home Uh, so you know I I took a look at the numbers beneath those goal totals and I wouldn't say that this has actually been the Sabres worst hockey of the season in this stretch but I would say um, perhaps insultingly to Sabres fans that this is just kind of Sabres hockey they're not a great team so you need to keep your expectations reasonable but they're also not as bad as it looks on the score sheet so it's sort of like an underhanded compliment I guess Elon, you might mention how hot the Sabres were in November and and why they're not the same team now as they were then, but that was pretty much built on a wave of positive PDO. So I'm not making any decisions or I didn't make any decisions about them based on that, say, month-long run. If you're asking me what to do now with the Sabres, who hopefully we'll start putting some goals on the board again. I'd still want to hold if I'm getting like, if it's four games of someone who is a step down uh, from Skinner, Reinhardt, Rissalainen and Darlene uh, versus one game of those guys. Sure. I'll make that swap. But if I'm getting a reason, like if I'm only going to gain one game uh, by swapping these guys out for someone lesser, I would much rather have these Sabres still in my lineup, like Skinner, Reinhardt, Risto and Darlene. Like, I don't believe their disappearance from the score sheet is going to be permanent, but you also do have to consider, uh, I guess, if you want to look at the flip side, Elon, that Buffalo is maybe a pretty demoralized group at this point. Maybe you worry that they're mentally checking out. 
but they do have a five game week coming up after this one. So also keep that in mind, especially if you're in a league with two week playoff matchups and it covers this two week spin. If you, uh, if you maybe sacrifice a game from these guys this week, you'll get five next week. Yeah, but Brian, come on. Like, okay, Sam Reinhardt, at least. This guy not only had this low point streak, he's got like zero and one shots in like each of these games. How can you justify holding this? Like, I would be talking about dropping him even if he had a three-game week this week. Like, I don't want, I know that I will sort of lump them in together in this question, but I assumed you would at least say drop Reinhardt, like for sure at this point. Like, I I, I can't think of conscience. Like, like you're going to tell has- the He's on a he's a seventy point player this year. He's on a sixty eight point pace, fifty nine points in seventy one games, and that's with this recent outage. Like, yes, Buffalo was significantly struggling lately. Do I think it's? I don't think it's going to last. I do think that a lot of these points that Reinhardt put up to get him to the seventy point pace were during this PDO surge that they had in November. Which, by the way, for those that don't know what we're talking about, PDO is like high percentages, both save percentage and uh, shooting percentage. That's wrong. Okay, so you think Reinhardt is going to bounce back and he's worth holding on to, even if he maybe is like not going to play a lot next week. Well, he for sure won't. And you think he's going to bounce back and be worth holding for the rest of the season? I'd be willing to bet you that he's going to be a guy that you'll suggest dropping come a couple weeks from now. Okay, I'll take that. Will you change your mind if I tell you that since the start of December, up until just before this cold stretch, which, yes, has been a very sad two weeks, he was a point-per-game player, 37 points in 37 games, 88 shots? Yeah, man, that's a long time. That's ancient history to me. Like, this is the playoffs. I feel like I always thought that our philosophy was come the fantasy playoffs, you got to be you know, ruthless. You got to drop players that aren't performing. And like, unless you're going to tell me that Sam Reinhardt should be getting points and isn't like the types of things that I look for to see that should be getting points and isn't, but he's not taking any shots. You're the one who's always talking about how shots on goal is like your big indicator to tell if a player should be doing well. He used to take decent numbers of shots on goal today, zero shots. The previous two games, one each, then zero before that. Like when he was getting all these points, I'm seeing four, three, five shots. I'm not holding on to a guy who's taking zero or one shots for him he's not even helping you in another category if he doesn't get you a point plus if your league counts plus minus he hasn't gotten a plus game since march 1st he's been minus or zero every single game Sucks. only only clown leagues are counting plus minus am i right i feel like only clown leagues will have uh, sam reinhardt rostered (laughs) next week but okay let's uh move on to another player who was doing nothing but actually now is doing something so zach parisi was Pointless in four games, and not only that, he was like not even taking shots. Also, again, same like Reinhardt, really disturbing to me. Though Parisi was especially disturbing because he's a guy who you could generally count on for like a lot of shots. He's been shooting up a storm this season, but he did break that four-game pointless skid with an assist yesterday, and he has a power play goal so far today versus the Islanders. That game is still going there in the third period. Parisi has a power play goal on two shots, so. Maybe he's back. Maybe he's bounced back. I don't know. What do you think? Next week, Minnesota plays Tuesday and then Friday, Saturday. So it would potentially be tempting to drop Parise for someone who plays maybe like Monday, Wednesday, Thursday, like a Tampa Bay Lightning player, you know, rather than getting only one game before Friday. What do you think about Parise? Is is this just a cold stretch? Is there something wrong with him? Uh, Apparently, you don't care when players stop taking shots. So I guess you're going to say that he's going to be fine, right? I care deeply when players start stop taking shots. I'm seeing Sam Reinhardt. Yes, he has two shots over his last three games. Eichel wasn't there for two of those, and I think that really uh, that really hurt him. So Eichel's back. Let's give him a couple games to get back well, on board. But yeah. I guess, yeah, I will say that I told people that, like on our Facebook group, they're like, "Should I drop Reinhardt this week?" And I was like, "You know what? Hold him for the weekend. Eichel will be back. I'm sure that he'll be fine." They did nothing all weekend. So, ugh, bye. 
But anyways, okay. Parisi. Uh, Parisi. Yeah. So I'm a little more concerned about the dearth of shots from Zach Parisi. And that's because unlike Reinhardt, uh, like Reinhardt is just going back to the situation where he's playing with Eichel and things were going well, where Parisi does not have that luxury. First, let's zoom out to a team level and look at just the wild in general, whose season has taken a turn for the worse lately. They've been in goal scoring funk for pretty much a month, just like the Sabres, thanks to a drop in their team shooting percentage down to seven percent but the thing with minnesota is that they also did a bunch of weird things with their roster and i think that's probably unlike the sabers who seem to be taking similar quality of shots as always and just cashing in on less of them uh, i'm not sure that minnesota can get back to where they were before they did this little roster overhaul that they've done over the last month and you have to think it's had an impact specifically on zach Parisi, who's had his world turned upside down and as an example of that elon can you name zach Parisi's four most common line mates this season like all season long yeah okay uh zucker no, no. probably not koivu Yes, injured, Gran- gone for the season. Okay, Granlund. Traded. Okay, yeah, so this this is easy. I, I need a rider. Traded. <laughs> okay, so it's all the players. His most, most common linemates are all gone, basically? No, Charlie Coyle also traded, all gone. So the guys that Parisi has been playing with and succeeding alongside all season long, gone one after another out the door for whatever reason lately he's been playing with kevin fiala and eric stall and eric stall should be a decent guy to play with but we know he's had a rough season too it's almost like the minnesota is like this aisle of misfit toys all of a sudden where they have a bunch of pieces that don't necessarily fit together anymore the way they were and i i I think that really is my like it doesn't seem i was reading a little bit about the moves they've made lately and it seems as though the suggestion was that there wasn't much thought strategically to the impact of bringing in different kinds of players, like the way Kevin Fiala is different from uh, Mikhail Granlund um, and and how that's going to impact what everyone's role is on the team and how they're just, everyone's just trying to figure out, okay, what do I do now? How do I complement one another? And apparently uh, there's rumblings that Boosbridge has not done a very good job of managing that himself. So it's a, it, it's a really rough situation in Minnesota, which doesn't make it any better for Parisi owners to deal with it. It's a really terrible time for him to go cold. He's been a gift that's been giving all year in a sustainable way. So we'll see if somehow some chemistry can be recreated uh, between him and any of his former or like longstanding or brand new teammates. But until we see that happen, I'm a little concerned uh, that he's going to be able to produce the way he was for most of the season. Yeah, it is an interesting situation in Minnesota, uh, not only with Parisi and like Eric Stahl, like you said, who finally had broken out of a cold stretch and now looks like he's in another one. Again, he had a goal yesterday, but before that, he was pointless in three. Uh, I feel bad for Ben from Average Time on Ice, who had Ryan Donato, who was really good when he first got traded, then went cold for a bit. And then he had him on his bench yesterday for a two goal game. Hopefully he has him back in his lineup for two assists today. Donato's one of these guys that's really tough to call. Uh, if he's a free agent, maybe you don't grab him now, but come like Friday, Saturday of next week might be a good guy to grab for two games. But yeah, I agree with you, Brian. It's tricky because you don't even know how the lines are going to shake up. Like you even said that Parisi was playing with Stahl and Fiala a lot recently. Looks like today Parisi's been playing with Stahl and Jason Zucker. So the lines keep on shifting around as Minnesota tries to figure out what they're doing. And hey, right now, tied 2-2. I guess we'll see how this game finishes up. I'll let you guys know before the end because I know people <laughs> listening to the show always want to get my game updates a day late uh over in arizona another guy who was super cold alex galchenyuk broke a seven game pointless streak yesterday 
uh, by scoring two goals versus the Oilers. Is Alex Galchenyuk back? I guess it's like a, too strong of a question, right? But like, why was he doing so badly, first of all? And now should we be happy about him? Like, the thing is, Galchenyuk, first of all, we all know the story. He was like a guy who we always expected to have high pedigree in Montreal. I feel like I've said this like a million times to get set the scale for talking about Galchenyuk. But also, he is uh, getting good deployment. Like, he's, you know, getting a lot of ice time and top power play deployment. And Arizona has a good schedule next week, Monday, Thursday, Saturday, Sunday. So, you know, Monday is a, is a weekday. Like, there's not too many teams playing, so you'll definitely be able to fit him in your lineup if you add him. And then you could also just wait and get him, like, a Thursday, Saturday, Sunday. So I'm curious to know, what's your take on Alex Galchenyuk? And actually, maybe I could get you to compare him to other Coyotes forwards. There's really only one other obvious one, I guess, Clayton Keller. Like, it's weird. Like, Arizona's in a playoff spot, and I'm not even sure if it's worth rostering any of their forwards. Like, Keller is actually cold himself. He only has one assist in his last four games. I'd be curious to know if you wanted to grab an Arizona Coyote forward next week, would it be Clayton Keller or Alex Galchenyuk? Or are you going to go off the board and say someone like Vinny Hinostroza, who you said uh, he mentioned he had that hat trick last week? No, I'm not even going to go on the board. I'm going to say I don't really want any Arizona Coyotes. We talked about Buffalo not scoring goals, and that's been a bit of an uncharacteristic funk for them. Same with Minnesota. But Arizona... Just doesn't score goals. This is a season long thing. The Coyotes are not a high octane team. They're 28th in the league in all situations, goals four per 60 minutes, and 26th in the league in expected goals four per 60 minutes. They don't deserve any better than they've gotten. The Coyotes are winning games with a very stingy defense that is not taking many risks and trying to capitalize on a couple mistakes a game. And the defense is successful. They're allowing the sixth. Uh, fewest expected goals against per 60 in the league, which of course has benefited our friend Darcy and net. But that's why I'm not that into Galchenyuk or Keller or any Coyotes forward. It's not because I think Galchenyuk and Keller specifically are bad at hockey and scoring. Like I think you put them on a higher pace team and their point totals would be going just fine. And I'd be very excited about the prospect of owning either one of them. But these guys are going to have their output limited by the style Arizona plays. And with the Coyotes also climbing the standings right now, this very conservative playing style is being rewarded. So I wouldn't expect Arizona to change tack anytime soon. So I'm not going to bet on any Arizona Coyote to pick it up more than they have recently. But why not? If you want, you could try one of these guys out on Monday if they're floating around a free agency. Take it from there one game at a time. Also, a Galchenik and Keller, should they be available in your leagues, could make decent Sunday ads to bring your matchup home like they're a decent bet on any given night but it's not someone that i'm really excited to commit a roster spot to and if you had to pick one though brian throw us a name keller okay uh by the way we should mention one guy who is getting points lately is jacob chikorin he had an assist and six shots versus edmonton uh yesterday and he was actually healthy scratch the game before which is strange because he was actually on a good run he had seven points his previous 10 games before getting healthy scratch i imagine it was for some sort of defensive lapse like you say arizona's depending on this defensive play so i guess any little mistake it's like get out of here jacob chikorin but yeah i guess he got the message he had this great game yesterday at least offensively uh like what do you do with someone like chikorin like do you have to be worried that potentially he'll get healthy scratched again in a game next week or do you you think that if you have him you should be fine and if not like he's a pretty decent defenseman to add or are you just as concerned about him as everyone else yeah exactly I, I think the difference with Shikrin is you can hope to get uh, some peripheral production from him and uh, that's about it though like over the last say 10 games you can hope for four points out of him and sure he's got an okay chance of pointing on any given night uh, but 
not any better than a lot of free agents in your pool. I actually had a bid in on Jacob Schicker and ahead of the game he lost. So I, I, I'm really glad that I did not have a scratch player on my roster, but I don't think that's going to be a risk going forward. Elon, what do you think about one guy that we didn't really get into is Vinny Hinestroza. Is he someone you want to add this week? Like, do you prefer him to even someone like Alex Galchenyuk because of his recent production? No, I don't play that way. I know <laughs> okay. a lot of people do play that way. And you end up having a lot of players on your roster who did really well the game before you added them all throughout the season. But I like to just, I'd rather just, even before Galchenyuk had those two goals, I would have probably added Galchenyuk before Hinnestroza for like yesterday's game. And I would have been rewarded. But of course, I would have also paid the price all those games before when he was doing nothing. Hinnestroza was, was like getting points. Brian, here, let me ask a question to you now. Uh, I need help. And actually, I know at least one of our patrons has the exact same question. I've been holding Darcy camper all season long and like with my buy this week in the couple i've been just looking at next week staring at tomorrow's game against tampa in the face trying to decide am i gonna start darcy camper against tampa bay tomorrow i mean you're saying that arizona's really good at letting in goals or avoiding letting in shots and goals and tampa of course though, is very very good at scoring goals in the couple even if you only let in like let's say even if you have a bad game let them say four goals on 30 shots that's still fine like that would still give him like two fantasy points he wouldn't give me negative but of course if he lets in like five goals in the first period and then gets pulled i'll be so sad what would you do if you were me and and this patron who who i forget who it was it depends on the, the point of the matchup, right? At the start it's Monday. of Monday. It's Monday. Okay. It's tomorrow. Okay. So specifically in that context, I'll probably play him. Like it's definitely a risky proposition. You've got one of the league's best offensive teams against one of the league's defensive team best defensive teams. Something's gotta give. But uh if Kemper's helps you get this far, I don't think you would like you might not get the win. I don't think you should count on that, but you're at least hoping for some decent rate stats. Yeah, I guess it's the kind of thing in a points league, you could look at the format, see how bad does the game have to be. Like in the couple, we're pretty generous. Like unless your goalie really blows it, you're probably not going to get negative points. But there have been a lot of negative points. Like Frederick Anderson owners know a lot about negative points over the past week. Uh, I think I'm going to play him. And there, I'm glad that you said that I should so that if he doesn't play well, I could just blame you. Brian, let's take a break now from all the hockey talk very quickly and take a second to thank our sponsor for this week's episode, which are our friends over at SeatGeek. Like I've been saying for the last little while, now is the time to go and watch a game. If you're in a market where your team is fighting for the playoffs you could go to a game right now and it's basically like going to a playoff game like there's such high stakes a lot of tight races both in the eastern and western conference now's the time to check out a game and you can do that with confidence with our friends at SeatGeek. sometimes getting tickets online can be complicated you never know where to go like what site can you trust you can trust SeatGeek. they put a guarantee on any ticket you buy they're also going to aggregate a bunch of tickets from a bunch of different places to make sure that you can get the best value for the price that you're willing to pay i actually really like how on SeatGeek, you can sort the tickets by value as opposed to by price. You can do either. And so you can see like, am I getting a good deal? Is it worth it to go to this thing? I also really like just taking out the app, browsing around, seeing what else I could do. If I don't want to go to a hockey game tonight, what's going on in my city? And Brian, I actually uh, used SeatGeek recently. I went to a concert of Robin in Toronto. I didn't actually tell you I should have because I know we didn't didn't, tell me. I didn't tell you. It was last uh, Thursday, I believe at Rebel in Toronto. It was crazy. I've never been, or it's been a long time since I've been to like a club atmosphere like this where I have all these like smelly young people bumping into me while I'm just trying to watch Robin do her thing on stage. Anyways, it was an experience and uh, I was thinking that for today, because I know we've been playing this game recently of me bringing up a city and telling you a couple shows going on and then you can try to guess which ticket would be more expensive on SeatGeek. I was thinking, you know, to honor Robin, I could find a, you know, a city in Sweden. I was thinking Stockholm, Sweden. I don't think SeatGeek though is 
running in Sweden. I did find Stockholm, South Dakota. So I guess we can go there. If anyone is listening in South Dakota, you could either go see Share, which would be pretty fun, right? Like, what what are your chance? How many more times do you have to see Share? Or you could see uh, the wife of former Ottawa Senator Mike Fisher, Carrie Underwood, to Probably very hot tickets over in Stockholm, South Dakota. Brian, which one do you think is more expensive on SeatGeek? I feel like this is a geographically contextual, like you need to take into account where this is happening. And I don't know anything about Stockholm, South Dakota, but if I just had to guess about what I think Stockholm, South Dakota is, I think the more expensive ticket would be Carrie Underwood. Eh, incorrect. <laughs> but both Every me- week. <laughs> but uh, both pretty good deals. I share $97 uh, at least. Uh, Carrie Underwood, 88 plus. So you were close, but it is share. Bride, people could even get $10 less off that price just for listening to this show. Why don't you go ahead and tell them how? Yeah, all you need to do is download the SeatGeek app and enter the promo code KEEPING and you'll get $10 off your very first SeatGeek purchase. Again, you should try today. Download the app or go on the website, make an account, enter the promo code KEEPING before you buy your first ticket and you'll save $10 off that price. SeatGeek, life's an event. They have the tickets. They do indeed. Okay, Brian, let's get back to some more players on cold streaks before we'll get to all these hot streak potential free agents that you might want to add. No longer am I going to be talking about players who were cold and then finally had a good game. Now I'm just talking straight up cold and I got to start in Nashville. I don't even know if anyone still has this guy, but just to make sure if anyone's holding Matias Ekholm, it's time to let him go, right? He's pointless in six, only one point in his last 12 games. Nashville plays Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday next week, so it's not even an exciting schedule. I personally don't see any reason to hold on. Brian, you actually totally called it that Ekholm would slow down when we talked about him maybe like a couple of months ago. He was super hot. He was doing so well. I asked you if he would keep it up, and you said, nah, it's probably the same as he was before. So I'd imagine now you're going to say, if I could guess, I could get into the mind of Brian. I think you're going to say, look, he's not this bad, but he's also not as good as he was before. He's the same 30-35 point defenseman that he always was. Is that what you're going to say? That's it. That's all there is to it. If you still own Matias Ekholm, you are asleep at the wheel. He's a snoozer, and the time to let go was 12 games. Okay, maybe not 12 games ago, but like definitely 10. We said the moment he goes a game without a point, let him go. That happened. Uh, so thanks for the softball, Elon, and just rem- reminding everybody that we got that one right. Okay, and another one you got right, Brian, by the way, Craig Smith. Last week, you talked about him on the podcast. Me and Dave were both like, Brian, why are you even talking about this guy? Hey, he got you two points in three games this past week, so not too shabby. He's still playing with Sissons and Yarncroc. We thought that he'd be playing with Turris and Granlund. Turris has actually been healthy scratched the last couple of games, so that's kind of weird. So who knows what's going on with these Nashville lines? Probably Turris comes back soon. Everything gets thrown through a blender again, but Craig Smith has been on the top power play, and like I said, two points in his last three, so you could do worse. But also, like I said, Nashville plays only Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday next week, so not the most exciting schedule. Uh, but if you still if you took Craig Smith because of Brian's advice, I guess you got to hold on until he slows down because Brian loves Craig Smith and Craig Smith is making Brian look oh so smart. Uh, do you want to talk about him or should I move on to the next player? One of my favorite. I mean, I always I talk about him all the time. Just one of my favorite streamers. Always a good chance that he'll reward you, even if it seems like there's no way he should. Yeah. Well, yeah, because Dave was like, who's this guy on the line with? I was like, he was like, what, Sissons and Yarn? Come on. I was like, yeah, well, hey, still got you two points playing with Sissons and Yarn Crocs. So what are you going to do? Uh, I doubt we have anything new to say about this next guy, kind of like with Ekholm. But should people be ready to dump Vincent Trocek at this point? He has just two points in his last eight games. Florida also has a boring Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday schedule next week. Last time we brought Trocek up, we blamed his lack of top power play time for his fall back to being like a 50-point guy. Like, like again, we did already talk about him a few weeks ago 
ago. He had been cold then. And we said, look, this guy was a 50-point guy for the last few seasons. Before last season, we had this huge breakout. And probably a big reason for that breakout was the fact that he got on the top power play and got so, so many power play points. Now he's still centering the second line, but he hasn't been playing on the top power play. And yeah, not only is he not doing what he did last year, but right now he's even slumping worse than the 50-point guy he was usually reliable to be. Like I said, two points in his last eight games. What do you think about Vincent Trocek at this point? I feel like going into next season, we're going to have to take some lessons from Trocek because we weren't the only ones. Like He was super overrated like all across the board. Everyone was loving Vincent Trocek, and we fell into this trap as well. And he's definitely let a lot of us down. Like People were talking about him as like a super, a top fantasy option, especially in bangers leagues with his shots and his hits. People were talking about him as like a top 20 option. He's, he's been a huge letdown. Huge letdown. And the big issue is that, yeah, Vincent Trocek is still not on the top power play, which leaves him on what is a decidedly unimpressive second power play unit. Uh, Not to say that he's been great at five on five, though. He hasn't been fantastic at all at even strength, although he seems to be getting about as many shot attempts as usual. They're not registering as dangerous as they have been the last couple of years, like his individual expected goals rates down to pre-breakout levels for Vincent Trocek. I still think he can be a 60 point player even without that top power play time but he seems to need a couple of percentages to break well for him to get there uh, otherwise I wonder if Trocek if we just bump him back down and say yeah 55 point guy we were wrong about his 70 point potential uh, what a bummer that he hasn't panned out especially for anyone who's owned him and rode the roller coaster of like yeah I have Vincent Trocek I got him at a decent Uh, price for what I think he'll do and then he got injured and then he came back and then he did nothing so a rough year for Vincent Trocek curious to know where he'll land in drafts next year yeah Adam is saying in the chat room that maybe Brian let me know like do you think that potentially this injury is a reason why he's slowed down like maybe he was gonna do better and maybe like that's the reason why he's not on the top power play because the coach knows that he's not a hundred percent after his injury like as Adam is saying that he's like a guy to target next year hey if the value falls low enough if you could get him maybe among the 60 point guys then maybe he's someone to take a chance on because if he gets back on that top power play maybe something could happen but uh, you know I don't I don't know I wouldn't want to bank on it but I guess it depends how low you could get him at So I did have that thought that maybe the injury was something, but what's he playing for if the injury is like, maybe he's playing a little scared. I don't know. I don't know. I did have the thought, but I have no, uh, nothing to really back it up. And if you think of why he's on the second power play unit, I don't think it's because he's injured. I think it's because the top unit has Huberto, Huffman, Dadanov, and Barkov all of whom are going to be back next year uh, unless one of them gets traded away in the offseason. So there's not a whole lot of room for uh, Vincent Trocek to move up the power play depth chart unless there's some sort of roster overhaul in Florida in the offseason. Yeah, I think it'll be he'll be a really interesting guy to talk about. And also, one question I'm going to promise I'm going to be asking you a lot over the offseason is who is going to be next year's Vincent Trocek? Who's someone who broke out this year that's going to fall back down and is going to be super overrated? So I don't have an answer off the top of my head right now, but I'd love to hear your answer either now or later. And also tweet at us at Keeping Carlson. Let us know who's your next year's Vincent Trocek. Yeah, I would love to hear who people think that is. And if there is somebody else who's going to get squeezed off a top power play unit, like that, that, that will happen somewhere, right? So let us know if you if you have a suspicion of who it's going to be. Uh, in the chat, Adam M. was pointing out that it was an Achilles injury for Vincent Trocek, which brings back memories of Eric Carlson, right? He had his, uh, Adam was saying it was a lacerated Achilles. Oh, but Dave is now saying it was a fractured ankle. So uh, I was going to say, remember when Carlson came back from the Achilles thing, 
took him some time to get up to speed. Maybe that's what's happening with Trojek, but he's also lost a big chunk of the most significant uh, source of his points on that top unit, and we don't know when he'll get it back. Okay, I don't think that this guy will necessarily be the next Vincent Trojak. It's hard to guess, right? But one name that jumps to mind, someone who finally got huge deployment this year, uh, maybe Elias Lindholm next year, falls back to being what he was before this amazing breakout. I don't know. It depends what happens in Calgary over the offseason, but I don't know. Something to think about. I, let, let's move on. Oh, actually, though, since we're on Florida, we got to talk about Sam Franken Montembeau. Four straight wins? What? Who is this? How does goalies? I can't. Like, he got this win over LA yesterday for his fourth straight win. Got to imagine he has a good chance of getting two of, if not all three, of Florida's starts next week. Like I said, Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday. So there's no, you know, back-to-backs. They play Dallas, Arizona, and Boston in those three games. Maybe you got, like, a win or two in there for Montembeau. Like, is he a must-add for anyone with open goalie spots on any of those days at this point? Like, why would the Panthers play Luongo or Reimer when they know what they have with these guys, which is, I don't know, not so much at this point. It doesn't seem like, what do you have to gain? Might as well play Montembeau and see what you can do. I would be really happy if my opponent added Samuel Montembeau for this week. It's really hard to call him a must-add. He's someone again, that I'd rather have playing against me this week than for me. Look, even if you control for the weak goaltending the Panthers have been getting from Luongo and Reimer, they're still a bottom 10 team in terms of offering up high quality chances against them night in, night out. And as of late, the Panthers seem to be slipping even more that way while Montembeau's in net. But lucky for Samuel Montembeau, uh, the Panthers have been making up for it on offense, offering run support to the tune of six, six, four, and four goals over his last four starts. That adds up to 20 goals in Montembeau's last four games. Uh, and of course, Montembeau is not going to average five goals for every single night. So if you want to start Montembeau, okay, that's your move to make. Just know what you're getting into because five straight wins may, the, may be the big blaring headline for Montembeau, but beneath that is a 906 save percentage, generous offensive support, two mediocre AHL seasons, and a dangerously porous defense in front of him. Yeah. No, you make a lot of sense. But if you want wins, like the thing is, Florida does score a lot of goals, right? So there, he, you're going to have a chance to get wins just what? because, like, like yes. That? Yeah, well, yeah, if they keep scoring five goals a game, Elon, where do you think Florida ranks in the league and wins this year, though, even like having a mostly healthy team? Well, okay. Uh, I'm assuming pretty low since they're not in a playoff spot currently, but they are playing, what, Dallas? I guess Dallas is pretty good. They're in a playoff spot. Arizona's in a playoff spot and Boston's in a playoff spot. I don't know. Okay. So Florida has 32 <laughs> wins. It's three more than Anaheim. Yeah, but that's with that's with Luongo and Reimer in. Yeah, but I don't think Montembeau is better. Yeah. Is what I'm saying. How can you say that Montembeau with a 906 save percentage is better than those guys just because Florida scored 20 goals with him in net over the last four games? Hey, everything you're saying makes perfect sense. <laughs> I will counter by saying that if it was so obvious. Like, I mean, like, if he was so good, then he wouldn't be available for anyone to add out of free agency, and we wouldn't even be talking about him, you know? Like, it's pretty hard and unlikely to get a guy who might give you two or three starts uh, on a team that is not the Ottawa Senators, let's say, to be available in free agency for a playoff week. So I gotta mention him on the show, Brian. I'm just doing my job here. You're saying leave him be, but I'm saying it would be pretty hard for me, especially if it's in a league where there's, like, a lot of goalies, like, you know, points, and, you know, it's hard to get goalies. Like, we got a starting goalie. It's looking, like, do you at least agree that it's likely that he's going to play at least two of these three games yes i guess unless he totally blows it which is very possible in the first game then we don't see him again 
I guess. I don't know. He's he's hot. I think the Panthers are going to ride him. Uh, I guess you're right. If he blow, but even if he does blow, they have nothing to play for. So why not like let him keep playing? Like I like I said, I just don't see a reason for them to like go and ride Roberto Luongo any longer. Like let the guy let the guy rest already. Okay. Speaking of go. Oh, by the way, uh, I promised that update. The Islanders beat Minnesota three to two in overtime. Brock Nelson scored the overtime winner. The Islanders. I wasn't planning on bringing this up this week, but just really quickly, they've shifted up their lines. They've been loading up the top line with Barzal, Eberly, and Anders Lee on that top line. So that, I think, makes all three of those guys a little bit more appealing as opposed to being spread around. And finally, I feel like I can say it was the right decision for me to drop Josh Bailey way back when. He's now pointless in six games. Will you agree, Brian? People should drop Josh Bailey now. He's not on the top line. He's not on the top power play. Just give it, please, just say it. People should drop Josh Bailey, right? Pointless in six. Okay, drop Josh Bailey now, but you were mistaken if you did it earlier. All I know is I don't have to worry about having him on my roster going into my couple semifinals. Uh, so we were talking about Montembeau. Let's get to another goalies. These two on cold streaks, though. So Frederick Anderson, I got to bring him up. If you've been on Twitter, you've been, I'm sure, already seeing a lot about Frederick Anderson. Uh, people love talking about the least. Did you know that, Brian? Uh, so Anderson has been one of the most consistent goalies all season. And then he totally destroyed his fantasy owners this week if they had him in a playoff matchup. Three straight sub 800 save percentage games. Sometimes we bring up goalies who have three straight sub 900 save percentage games. And we say these guys are slumping. I'm talking save percentages in the 700s for the last three games for Anderson against Tampa, Chicago, in, and Philly. He actually got the win versus Philly. How often does a goalie have a sub 800 save percentage and still get a win? It helps when your team scores seven goals, of course. Uh, so is Anderson like now a scary goalie to start down the stretch until he shows that he's figured things out? Is he the type of goalie that you have to consider sitting like, obviously, I don't think we're going to tell anyone to drop him, but, you know, a lot of people have these, like, daily goalie sit-or-start decisions, and I feel like at this point, how could you trust Frederick Anderson, who, I don't know, is it something wrong with him? Is it something wrong with the team? Can you just blame it on, like, Jake Gardner being injured or something? Like, obviously, that doesn't help, and he's not coming back anytime soon anyways. He's week-to-week, I think, still. But, yeah, like, what are, you, what are your thoughts on Frederick Anderson? Do you even have a way to look into this? Like, how can we tell... If it's just a matter of Frederick Anderson is like bad now and you need to sit him until he figures it out, or can you play him with confidence and just say it was a weird week and just forget about it? You can't really, yeah, tease that apart just based on this last week. So you can try and come up with some theories. One might be uh, the Leafs defense has been significantly worse over the last week, which uh, it hasn't quite been the case. You're right that maybe they're missing Jake Gardner a little bit, uh, but they're still good enough defensively that Freddie Anderson should not be given up like four five, six goals against. Uh, so my other theory and one that we've wondered about for the last couple of years, as long as he's been in Toronto is maybe the guy's getting tired. Uh, he ranks eighth in minutes played by goalies this year. Uh, and he's pacing for 60 starts, which when you're a team hoping to go on a deep playoff run, you wonder if that's really a wise decision. And then, of course, you see Marc-Andre Fleury leading the league in minutes played uh, for Vegas, and he's uh, five years older than Freddie Anderson and also hoping to go on a deep cup run. But anyway, you can second guess whether or not the Leafs have made the right decision by playing Anderson as much as they have this year and whether that's a factor. It just is so out of character for Freddie Anderson to be blowing starts. He has a quality start percentage at 64% this year. Amongst all the other workhorse goalies, only two have been more reliable night in, night out. You want to try and name them, Elon? Goalies who have been more reliable than Frederick Anderson? Yeah, in terms of not blowing up your numbers, playing league average or better. Okay, so I guess Vasilevsky jumps out? Yeah. Marc-Andre Fleury? No. 
Oh, well, those were the two obvious ones to me. I, I don't know. I, I could think it through, but that might be boring for the show. Calgary, Carolina, Chicago, Colorado, no. <laughs> Columbus, no. Well, not Bobrovsky, no. He had that bad run for sure. It's not him. Uh, Dallas, Florida, Los Angeles. No, definitely you missed not it. Ben Bishop in oh, Dallas. Oh, oh, obviously, Ben Bishop, Mr. Shutout Streak himself. Quality starts 67.5% of the time, which is fantastic. And Elon, I'd be remiss not to mention that just under Freddie Andrews, Anderson in terms of reliability, Darcy Kemper with a quality start in 63% of his start. So, uh, of course, I, I credit Arizona with doing a lot to protect him, but you must be happy. You didn't even have to bring him up. I've brought him up twice this episode already. What a great fantasy own he's made. Yeah, I mean, I, that was like overrated. How much, like next year, if he does not so well, then you're going to be like, oh, Elon, your boy uh, Darcy Kemper is sure not holding <laughs> up. I mean, I, I did bring up, and I will stand by it, that I do think that you are giving a lot of weight to a small sample size when he wasn't playing well in Minnesota. And oh. now, uh, hey, fine, roll your eyes. Like, how many more? Like, what if he has a good season next year? Like, let's just pretend, let's, let's role play. Let's say it's a year from now, and we're talking about how Darcy Kemper has had another great season. Like, Auntie Ranta got injured again, and Kemper once again played a full season. We're talking about the 2019-20 playoffs. Will you still be rolling your eyes when I say, wow, Darcy Kemper seems like a really good goalie? Well, like, oh. <laughs> not necessarily, but you're saying small sample size when he has been good for, like, a small sample size, too. I, I don't want to get into this again. Everybody knows our thoughts on Darcy Kemper I think I I don't think there are too many teams he could play on this season and put up a 921 save percentage but all credit uh, credit where credit is due right and back to Freddie Anderson I don't know if you own him what other chance do you choice do you have though than to just trot him out night after night and see how he does you have to think that most nights even if he does falter the Leafs are going to give him a chance to win. He's been reliable all year. So unless he's had a very, very sudden bout of fatigue where the impact has been just crazy right off the start, uh, I expect he'll be okay the rest of the season. And really, the Leafs don't have another choice. They could play Garrett Sparks, but uh, we, we've seen that he can't quite get the job done. And now you've got the Leafs actually in a funny position, playoffs-wise. I mean, they're pretty set where they are, um, but... You wonder, I don't know, I just saw someone saying maybe they'll end up playing Tampa first round if they drop far enough, which is incredibly unlikely. But it's it's still on the table, mathematically. It's mathematically on the table, but that would also involve Montreal figuring their stuff out. And they got shut out by Chicago yesterday. I I don't think that the Leafs have much to worry about. And I think if anything, play Garrett Sparks. If you lose games, whatever. Maybe Frederick Anderson just needs rest if you're saying that maybe he's tired. I'm sure you could hear the same conversation in every other hockey podcast that you have on your feed. So we could probably move on. By the way, Brian, I I should point out that I did tweet at uh, Catherine Silverman, who's a big, I think, beat writer for the Arizona Coyotes. Like She's always tweeting about the Coyotes, really great tweets. And and I asked her who she thinks is going to be the starter next year once Ranta is healthy. And she said Ranta. So she's she's also not as high on Kemper as maybe I've seemed to be. But let, let's move on from them. Okay, another struggling goalie actually I wanted to bring up. And I guess it's a pair of struggling goalie and a goalie doing well. Both on the Colorado Avalanche. Semyon Varlamov has put up four straight uh, 900 save percentage or less games going into today's game. And smartly, Colorado decided to play Philip Grubauer, who's been doing pretty well lately. And they were rewarded. And his owners were rewarded, anyone who added him, because he got a shutout against the Devils, stopping 22. Uh, Grubauer also shut out Buffalo last Saturday. So he's taking advantage of some of these teams that are having trouble scoring goals. He also stopped 30 of 32 versus Carolina on Tuesday. 
At this point, are we looking at for the rest of the season, Philip Grubauer is the goalie to own in Colorado. If you have Semyon Varlamov, is it time to let him go? And if Grubauer is available, is it time to add him? Next week, Colorado plays Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, Sunday against Minnesota, Dallas, and then two Chicago's on the weekend. So definitely those Chicago games are a bit scary with the way they've been scoring. But Minnesota on Tuesday, I, I feel like I'd be pretty comfortable playing Grubauer against Minnesota on Tuesday if he, if he ends up getting the start. And I think he probably will. It's been a long time, though, since Colorado showed any commitment to Philip Grubauer. Before he started back-to-back games, and not dates, but like two games in a row for Colorado on March 9th and March 11th, you had to go back to the first games of the 2019 calendar year more than two months earlier, way back at the start of January, to find Grubauer starting in two straight avalanche games. That was a time when Varlamov was struggling, and so Grubauer got a bunch of starts, but was also screwing them up himself, too. Um, So it's really been hard to predict because even if Grubauer keeps getting another start, I think he could blow up any given night, which means that Varlamov gets the net back. And if I'm looking at the two, if I'm Colorado and I'm feeding from the Western Conference playoff picture and I'm trying to figure out which goalie gives me the best chance of winning night in, night out, based on the numbers this season, that's Semyon Varlamov. So I do think they probably ride the hot hand in Grubauer until he falters, but that could very well be this next game, in which case you'd be very unhappy to own him. So you think that Grubauer is going to blow it against Minnesota? Come on. No. It's, it's possible. It's it's a friendly matchup for him for sure. So it'd be really nice if he could hold that down and earn another. I think the net will be his until he blows it. And like I said, he just has not been reliable this year. So that's not a guarantee that it'll last beyond one game. But if you want to try and get at least one game, possibly three out of him this week, by all means, go for it. It would be his longest, consistently good stretch of the season if that does happen. Okay, Brian, let's say you have Ben Bishop and he's injured right now and someone else already has Hudobin. You can't just pick up the backup. You need a goalie for next week. You're not going to hit your minimum starts. You've got uh, Grubauer and you've got Sam Montembeau. Grubauer. You're grabbing Grubauer. Okay, so that that puts things in context. By the way, as I'm saying that this looks like an easy start, you know what else looked like a pretty easy start? Probably Garrett Sparks against the Ottawa Senators yesterday. And we all uh, saw how that turned out, as Adam's saying here in the chat room. There's no such thing as an easy start for Garrett Sparks. I feel like that's happened several times this year where it's just like, oh, yeah, Garrett Sparks backing up for the Leafs against a weaker opponent for sure. And then he just blows up your numbers in a way that you cannot bounce back from. Uh, I blame anybody uh, or anyone who did try and get that Garrett Sparks spot start has nobody to blame but themselves. I am. Oh, come on. It's so hard. Sorry, guys. (laughs) It's really hard. That was rude. (laughs) Do do the people who got blown up by Frederick Anderson also have to blame themselves? Or is that just like bad luck? Your life sucks. That's bad luck. Yeah, for sure. Uh, by the way, I guess I should mention to complete Leafs talk, even though I promised that I already moved on from it. Kasperi Kapanen, I don't think we mentioned, I think we mentioned he was like sick last week, but now he's apparently out with a concussion. He's going to be out for a while. So William Nylander has jumped onto the Matthews line with Andreas Janssen. So that's a pretty appealing uh, place for Nylander to be, a lot better than on the third line, right? So, uh, but at the same time, the Leafs are sliding. They keep losing games. So who knows if there's going to be more shakeups. But I feel like if Nylander's in free agency, probably he's a guy worth grabbing for next week, playing with Matthews. And just to drive the point home on Garrett Sparks, he started 14 games this year. Six of those have been quality starts. Woof. Okay, so there we go. Those are our cold streaks. Let's shift gears now 
and talk about players who have probably been like in free agency for pretty much the whole season. Guys who we like we our eyes would have glazed over if we saw their name in a box score all throughout the season. And out of nowhere, right now, just in time for the fantasy playoffs, they're on hot streak. So let's play a game, a classic keeping Carlson game of sustainable or fleeting. And I'm gonna bring up a bunch of no names, and you're gonna tell me if you think that these players are gonna keep it up for the next week or two, or if you think there's very little chance that they'll continue and you should just leave them in free agency i want to start in dallas with rupe hints who i feel like all season long i've just been calling him rupe hints because i never felt there was a, re- a reason to like actually look up how to pronounce his name but apparently it's rupe just like lupe the cleaning lady who george hooked up with on seinfeld uh yeah so rupe hints uh he's riding a three-game goal scoring streak not only a point streak, a goal scoring streak going into today's game versus the Canucks, which, by the way, that game has started. It's currently 2-1 for Vancouver in the third period. So far, no goals for Rupe Hints, but you got to imagine he's going to have a good chance to get you a point because he's been playing on the top line with Sagan and Radulov and also the top power play with those two, of course, Jamie Benn and John Klingberg. Brian, who the F is Rupe Hints? And is this guy for real? Dallas plays Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday next week. So a boring schedule. But if you're going to tell me that this top line, top power play guy on the stars is a real player and this isn't just weird luck, uh, I feel like people might need to try to make room for him anyways. Well, before I do, Lupe is also the name of Lucille Bluth's housekeeper in Arrested Development. And also for the hip hop heads out there, there's Lupe Fiasco. Uh, Lupe is also how you feel after one too many drinks. But back to Rupe Hints, uh, he was a second-round pick back in 2016, drafted 49th overall by the Dallas Stars. This is his second year as a pro. He was a point-per-game player to begin this season in the AHL, which is not how he was last season, but he was this season. He had nine goals and 13 assists for 22 points in 21 games before getting called up to Dallas and staying there. And lately, uh, Rupe Hintz has seen this huge bump in deployment that you mentioned, Elon Lupe. Uh, I'm going to call him Lupe now. Rupe Hintz went from 10 to 12 minutes a night playing with Brett Ritchie and Denis Gurianov to getting 14 to 16 minutes a night playing with Radulov and Sagan at even strength, plus that top power play time. And he is making the most of it. Hintz has 14 shots over his last four games. It's too soon to say exactly what he may have to offer like as a player. It would be so nice if Dallas finally had another guy who could actually score aside from Sagan, Ben, and Radulov, especially now that we've given up on Spezza. Um, Dauber Prospects, uh, one of our favorite resources for checking how prospects are, are rated in terms of upside and offense. Uh, they seem to think that Hints can be a player. Uh, regardless of what he's going to be, right now, he is a must-own with this current deployment. And I feel like this current deployment is also going to stick. Jamie Ben has a goal tonight also, and I don't think it came, like I think it came at five on five. So uh, with his regular line mates, and if Dallas can run two lines, it'd be the first time in a while that they could do it. And I don't think they'll pass up that opportunity. So long as Hints can be a good complimentary piece on that top line. And so far it's looking like he is. And by the way, hey, Dallas on Tuesday plays against the goalie that Brian thinks is sure to blow up any day. Now, Sam Montembeau. Oh, so, yeah. so definitely you got to grab Rupe Hints for that game. According to Brian, not according, not according to me necessarily. What do you, you don't think you should grab Rupe Hints? Uh, 
Nah, I feel like for a Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, uh, I you might have better options if you're not going to be able to fit him into your lineup. But let, let us know your options. I like him. I like his spot. But I don't know if in a playoff week I'm wasting an ad to grab someone who's not actually getting the extra games and I have to, like, you know, just sit someone else and play him over them and I'm not actually gaining games by adding. You, you know what I mean, right? It, uh, that's my take. Also, I don't think that Sam Montembeau is going to blow up as, as quickly as you do. Uh, it's hard, hard to predict. Dallas doesn't score, like, that many goals, right? Uh, this Jamie Ben goal was assisted by Valerie Nachushkin, though actually... Actually, it doesn't look like today he's been playing with Nachushkin. He's been playing with Jason Dickinson and Joel Lesperance. So there's more players that were probably mispronouncing their names, but we don't care because they're not relevant. And maybe next year I'll be asking you, who's Joel Lesperance? And, and it should people. But right now we can still pretend like he's just a big nobody. And Rupe Hints is the guy that you want on Dallas for sure. Uh, okay, so let's go to New Jersey. They have a really decimated lineup. It looks really terrible when you see their lines with everyone injured. We've already talked about them, I think even just last week. But a couple of players we didn't discuss are defensemen, Damon Severson and Will Butcher. And both of them, even with this decimated lineup, they've been getting some points. Severson put up four points in three games, including one goal, one assist versus Edmonton on Wednesday before going pointless in his most recent two games, Friday versus Vancouver, and then today versus Colorado. The Devils got shut out, like we said, by Grubauer. Though, Severson did have five shots today, so that's really good. If your league counts that, he was also minus three. If your league counts that, Brian, don't get mad at me for all this plus minus talk, but maybe... Uh, I don't know. I, I was harsh before. I understand lots of leagues still count. We just don't recommend it. Yeah, and hey, I mean, it's obviously not great if he was on the ice for three goals against, but there's better metrics to determine how good a player is defensively, namely like shot attempts and all that. But let's not get into that whole debate. Uh, Severson, though, has been kind of unheralded this series, up to 37 points in 74 games, which means he's probably going to end up with 40. Like, there's a good shot that he could get there. Usually we say 40-point defensemen are fantasy relevant and, and worth owning, especially in deepish leagues. We haven't talked about him at all. I love that he took five shots today. Is Damon Severson someone that people should maybe be looking to add for the rest of the season if they need defense? It also looks like he's bumped uh, Will Butcher from the top power play. Like today, Severson had a lot more power play time than Butcher did. And by the way, Butcher, though, was also (laughs) hot finally. He had a four-game assist streak going into today. Of course, no points today. So I'm curious to get your thoughts on both Severson and Butcher going into next week. It's hard to imagine Devils are going to score that many goals, but maybe one of these guys will get in on them. Their schedule is Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday. So again, a boring slate against Washington, Boston, and Arizona. So against three good goalies. Uh, do you think that it's worth grabbing one of them? And if so, like, which one would you want? Nah, I'm so uninterested in anyone on New Jersey. I don't, so I don't love either Severson or Will Butcher. If you're making me pick one, I'll go Damon Severson. Butcher is the one getting better power play deployment, uh, but not, he's, not oh, sorry, but you, right, you said, so, so sorry, let me rephrase. Butcher has been the one getting better power play deployment and not doing a whole lot with it. Like not, he has 13 power play points on the year compared to Severson's 10. So, uh, and that's with uh, more minutes and better line mates with the man advantage. So for that reason, I will just go Severson. Will Butcher, we asked at the start of the season, is he elite? Uh, It was tongue in cheek, but so far he has not really made a case to be called elite. So, Brian, you're kind of like really swatting aside Damon Severson. You do have to acknowledge he's on pace to put up 40 points this season. Generally, you consider that to be fantasy relevant, right? Do you say that he's been unsustainable to get all these points? Like he's having a good season. He's having an okay season. We see him run hot and cold very often. And I also like this is also me speaking to just not really counting on New Jersey being able to score a whole lot of goals. Um, Like Severson has a three game point streak, which is great. But you look at uh, like the 20 games before that he had eight points over 18 games uh, in 
the month preceding this. So that's why I'm concerned. Like he's not a slam dunk at all. Of course, no one in your free agency is. So sure, you can go ahead and add him if you want, but he's not someone who really excites me. He doesn't take a lot of shots. Uh, He might not keep getting good power play time. So uh, I don't know. I guess I've been, I've added him and by burn and been burned by him several times before. So maybe I'm a little gun shy about it, but he's not uh, like, I'll take him over Vlasic and Tim Heat. How about that? How about um, Ekholm? Will you have him over Ekholm if we're building a ranking here? Yes. Okay, well, that's not so bad. Though, I, like I said, I am concerned about that schedule next week because it's not only just Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, but against potentially Holtby and then Rask or Halak and then Kemper. So that's that's going to be a tough week. Uh, probably just want to stay away from all the devils. Uh, let's do a few more defensemen. Let's add to this list. So as usual, there are a bunch of fun names producing on the Tampa Bay Lightning because they score so many goals and everyone gets in on them. Uh, Victor Hedman, by the way, who we talked about being kind of not cold, but like not as hot as he was last year, a few weeks ago, maybe a couple months ago now. He's red hot right now. Nine points his last nine games. Ryan McDonough has four points in his last four games, bringing him to a quiet 37 points pacing for 42 on the season so pretty solid season for ryan mcdonough who generally you just want to get like a half point per game from him and then all those good peripherals uh the name i want to bring up though someone who might be in free agency for you is eric cernak i think it's chernak okay thank you very much eric chernak who has been playing on the top pairing with mcdonough lately and he's been picking up some points including a goal yesterday versus washington he had an assist on thursday versus detroit and really generally you haven't had eric chernak in your roster for points he's been great for hits like if you're in a multi-cat league he's giving you a good amount of hits and even some shots and blocks to go along with them every single game but now if chernak is getting this increase in deployment like if he's playing on the top pairing he's been seeing like over 20 minutes per game a lot recently Maybe he's a guy you want to add, especially because unlike all these other people we've been talking about playing Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, Tampa, I think, has the best schedule of the week, at least at the start of the week, Monday, Wednesday, Thursday, Saturday. So you can get three games right at the start of the week, two of them on off days. If you want to add a Tampa defenseman, I guess, well, it was just in general, like, what do you, who is Eric Chernak, I guess, first of all, and do you think he makes for a good ringer to bring onto your team? To me, it kind of seems similar to like Sanheim back when we brought him up originally. The reason why I was starting to get into Sanheim is he had a couple points in a couple games in a row. And I was also really into how he was jumping up to the top pairing and getting more minutes. So obviously Eric Chernak can't be a nobody if he's playing on the top pairing on the Tampa freaking Bay Lightning. Am I right? Yeah, to some extent, it's really nice to have a new fantasy relevant option, especially in leagues that count a lot of his peripherals. If you want to get to know Eric Chernak, you can know uh, that he was actually drafted by Los Angeles back in 2015 in the second round, 43rd overall. And then uh, they traded him to Tampa to acquire Ben Bishop two years ago around this time. Most of us forget that Ben Bishop ever took a turn in an LA Kings jersey. He did. It was nothing uh, particularly remarkable or interesting. Uh, Eric Chernak, the difference between, like you you mentioned, Travis Sanheim, uh, Chernak does not have the same offensive upside. His peripherals seem much more reliable uh, than any points he'll be able to give you, but uh, his peripherals are becoming increasingly reliable. Chernak began the year with third pairing minutes, and he's actually creeping up, up, up all season long to the point that he's almost seeing first pairing minutes in, in terms of volume, right? Like we know he's not necessarily the first pairing guy, but he's seeing about 20 minutes a night lately, which is great. And that does make Chernak a great ringer in multi-category leagues, but again, not the same offensive upside as Sanheim. Though, of course, you have to like that Chernak plays with one of the top offenses in the league, which is something uh, that anybody playing with Tampa has going for them. 
yeah, I feel like, you know, like I said, Monday, Wednesday, Thursday, give me at least one point in those three games to go along with the peripherals. And maybe if you get lucky, you get a couple. Probably not, but maybe you'll get him. Uh, uh, by the way, since we're on Tampa, we did tell people to grab Tyler Johnson last week, I'm pretty sure, because he was playing on that line with Braden Point and Nikita Kucherov, league leader in points, Nikita Kucherov. By the way, Connor McDavid has gotten multi-point games like every single game since forever it feels like lately and still he's so far back from kucherov that just goes to show how good kucherov has been anyways tyler johnson goals in three straight games points in four straight games try eligible like i said amazing schedule next week i'm looking on yahoo still only 45 percent owned i feel like this is like boring because like how can like anyone who's ever listened to this show over the past couple weeks knows that we've already told you to grab tyler johnson but i got i'm seeing 45 percent owned in yahoo which means there's 55 percent of leagues where you can grab this guy i don't care how shallow your league is by the way like if you're in a league even where there's only six teams assuming that your roster is full on tuesday and thursday like drop Someone playing Tuesday, Thursday, grab Tyler Johnson, get his Monday, Wednesday, and then you could drop him for the rest of the week. Like, who else is going to give you better production in those two off days? I just want to mention, Elon, you're talking about these these Tuesday. I know Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday are super busy days, and you're, like, counting them as not even a day if you're trying to cycle in depth, depth players. I can tell you on Tuesday and Thursday, I have empty roster spots. Like, my my team is is spread out. So like, don't go running quickly uh, <laughs> to make changes without checking your lineup first, like obvious advice, but just, just double check that you actually, uh, you know, might have guys on your bench on Tuesday because some yeah. lineup <laughs> I, configurations won't. Yes. I, I hope that is obvious. Don't, if you're dropping someone playing Tuesday to get someone playing Monday, like think, yeah, but obviously check your rosters for the week. That's what I like to do going into a playoff week. Anyways, check your roster every single day of the week and see who you have sitting on all of the busy days. Those are guys you might want to consider dropping because you're obviously not going to get that many games out of them. Uh, but yeah, Tyler Johnson, I feel like I can't imagine a team that wouldn't benefit from getting Tyler Johnson's Monday, Wednesday games, especially if you have someone sitting on Tuesday. But even if not, probably you have someone like Brian, like we're dropping Sam Reinhardt for Tyler Johnson, right? Or you're probably going to say no, you'd rather hold Sam Reinhardt. No, I'll take Tyler Johnson. Yeah, he's playing with Kucherov and Point. Like that is that is a good third wheel spot. That is for sure. And he's hot, so he's got he's he's hitting all of the check boxes. Uh, by the way, in the chat here, I'm seeing that Montembeau is already led in a goal today. I forgot to mention Florida plays today, so yeah, that could put a wrench in my idea that he's going to play three games next week. Anaheim is winning one nothing. Uh, I see that Ryan Getzlaff assisted on Devin Shore's power play goal, but I feel like we're not allowed to talk about Ryan Getzlaff, Brian, because that earned us a one star review last week. Sorry, I know I'm, I'm spilling a little tea here and probably sounding whiny, but by the way, guys, it, it hurts my feelings. Like, uh, we're not a big corporation here. We're just Elon and Brian trying to make you a, a nice show. And then you drop us these mean reviews when we're, we're just trying our best to help you out. It wasn't even that mean. Like, it was, it seemed like it could have been constructive constructive feedback. Malkinvich, I bet you're still listening, too. Like, it doesn't even sound like you don't like the show. Um, yeah, it was like, I love you guys, but you talk too much about Getzlaff and <laughs> the show's too us, long. There, there's options for four stars, three stars, two stars, lots <laughs> of different a, ways to express. We have a Twitter account. You can just let us know how you're feeling. Give us okay. a chance to res- Anyway. I'll stop. I'll stop now. But I will throw it out there. If anyone wants to help us, uh, because these one-star reviews do hurt us on iTunes, and if you want to help us out, be our friends, if you throw out some uh, five-star reviews to counteract that, that would really be appreciated. If you like the show. And if you don't like the show, let us know. We'll, we'll try to improve it. Anyways, all I'm saying is... 
Uh, Ryan Ketzlaff probably was worth discussing last week because he had a three-point game last week. He's got an assist today. Clearly, he is worth owning, even though you said that he's uh, should have been dropped a million years ago. Uh, he's Ryan Ketzlaff. He's good. He was like an 80-point guy for the past few seasons when he's healthy. Let's go to more hot streaks. Hopefully, we haven't annoyed anyone too much with this rant. Uh, we're talking about defensemen, right? Connor Murphy on Chicago. Is he someone people have to be thinking about? He scored versus Montreal yesterday. That was his third point in four games. And just like Chernak, he's getting more ice time lately. He's got over 20 minutes in four of his last five games. And he's been amazing for hits and blocks. He had four hits and four blocks yesterday versus Montreal to go along with his goal. So he was a great guy. Oh, and two shots. He was a great guy if you streamed him in last week. Going into next week, another good schedule, by the way. Uh, Chicago plays Monday, Thursday, Saturday, Sunday. So if you need a defenseman who's going to give you peripherals, and if Chernak isn't available, maybe you can tell me, Brian, who you'd like more between Connor Murphy and Chernak, or if you think like you know neither of them are especially appealing. I feel like Connor Murphy is a good alternative option if Chernak is already gone. Like, I don't see much reason like Chernak that his points are going to keep coming. Murphy has 12 points in 41 games. And unlike Chernak, I mean, you mentioned how his time on ice has gone up like over the last few games. With Chernak, we've seen a much steadier uh, climb. So I, I don't see any big changes around Connor Murphy that make me think things are about to really continue being better like they have been for the last handful of games. So yeah, I, I prefer Eric Chernak, but Connor Murphy isn't a bad option for peripherals if Chernak has already been taken. Okay, and if you are tired of these depth D-men, there's a guy on Chicago whose percent ownership has been skyrocketing in Yahoo, and for good reason. We gotta talk once again about Brendan Perlini. We brought him up last week. I feel like Dave said on the show, don't give me any of this BS about adding Chicago players. You're not gonna wanna do that. Well, if you did add Brendan Perlini, then you were rewarded with goals in three straight games. He's now up to eight goals and two assists in his last seven games. This guy's on fire playing on his line with Alex Debrinkit and Dylan Strom. And let's throw it out there. Alex to bring it he is because he's like a Braden point you know like last year we knew he was good at this point I feel like just playing with Debrinket makes you worth owning which is like you know a whole other tier of fantasy players so like Debrinket is so good why not grab Perlini who's on a hot streak and Chicago like I said has a good schedule next week and also Perlini's like a young guy like we still haven't seen his upsides I'd be curious to know Brian like who is this Brendan Perlini like he is is he someone that you think does have offensive pedigree and is he a must add for next week with this streak he's on and on this line that he's been producing with i don't think he has a ton of offensive pedigree he is a former first round pick was selected 12th overall by arizona um and that's all i really like he he has not stood out as a first round sort of pedigree type guy over his career so far I remember he started in arizona never really got top deployment but he occasionally got turned on the top line and has never even approached being a half point per game player even this year with chicago 14 points in 36 games 11 of those are goals so three assists, good for him. Uh, he has five goals on his last 13 shots. So he's really similar, Brendan Perlini, to someone like Vinny Hinestroza, who, if I'm not mistaken, they were traded for one another. And the thing with Brendan Perlini is that when he's being deployed well and has good line mates, uh, maybe he'll get in on some points. Maybe he'll throw some shots on net. Uh, otherwise, he's not doing a whole lot, but he is someone who I'm interested. Like he's still just 22. He'll be turning 23 in April. Uh, so there's still time for him to grow as a player and develop. And he could be one of those guys who really starts hitting his stride around 23, 24 years old, given proper top six deployment. So we'll see how well he does over the rest of this stretch and how likely that is to encourage Chicago or any other team to want him playing in their top six. 
Yeah, well, I know why you would think that he was traded for Hinestrosa, just because Chicago and Arizona seem to just only love trading with each other. But actually, no, Perlini went to Chicago in the trade that also saw Dylan Strom go to Chicago. It was Strom yeah. and Perlini for Nick Schmaltz. And just like Perlini, right, Dylan Strom was someone who was doing nothing in Arizona. And look how well he has done. So now we're seeing Brendan Perlini, who didn't get this like opportunity that Dylan Strom did right off the bat. Now he is getting this opportunity. He's flourishing right right now obviously you're saying his shooting percentage is too high i'm not saying i expect him to score a goal every single game but i'd say to adam for next week if he's available i, I like chicago scoring goals and he's on this great line with the and strom so i mean tim you're not as into him but uh, we'll see how it all shakes out at the end of the week cool cool okay let's go another defenseman paired with a forward okay so we talked about murphy and perlini let's talk about dimitri orlov and brett Connolly over in washington people might be like starting to eyes glaze over all these names that are supposed to be fantasy relevant guys but all these guys i'm bringing up are getting big points lately and all you need is one week of big points to propel you to a fantasy championship so orlov over in washington has got a four game assist streak going nine points in his last 10 games even with that he's still on pace for only 30 points this season which is what he's been doing for the past three seasons do you see anything different going on with orlov recently that makes you think he can keep this recent surge going through the fantasy playoffs washington's got a tuesday wednesday friday sunday next week so another good schedule to bring up and uh like orlov's doing well and i'm just curious to know like how is he doing this when he's generally been a 30 point guy forever yeah, because he does this every so often. And I actually, like, I remember we've had this conversation a reasonable handful of times over the course of us doing this podcast together. And I was wondering if March, for some reason, was a better month than others. And, like, it is, like, so I'm looking at his career splits. And in his career, he has 30 points in 83 games in March, which is exactly confirming that he's a 30-point guy, even if you collect just his March games. Uh, it's the same thing if you collect just his February games, just his January games, just his December. Like, he is a 30-point player, and that's all you can ever expect from Dmitry Orlov. I was actually thinking of him as a comparable to Eric Chernak when you were bringing him up, because we've talked about Orlov when he's put together a few games with points and said, well, he's on a really talented team. Sometimes he shares the ice with Ovi or Kuznetsov or Backstrom, so that's a good thing for him. Uh Right now, I, he's not any more interesting to me than he ever has been in that, yeah, you can stream him in a super deep league. Otherwise, uh, you really can't count on him to put up any points for you. So how is he getting like all of these points recently? Is it just luck? Like, I guess you've looked at, uh, I see that he's, I guess, taking the same number of shots as usual. His ice time seems the same as usual. So basically what you're saying is everything is kind of the same under the hood and it just happens to be passing to someone who's maybe passing to someone. Like these are all assists, right? So I guess he's just getting lucky more often than not and the person he's passing to is ending up getting a goal or like we're not going to give him any credit for this streak. Yeah, well, when this usually happens, we look at a couple things. We look at his on-ice shooting percentage over the last little while, and uh, it, that's a hard thing for me with the data we have available to, to do for a specific stretch. But generally, it's a safe assumption that uh, – his on-ice shooting percentage is higher than it usually has been. You also look, uh, I'm looking at his last six points here since March 6th, and uh, four of them are secondary assists, which uh, there's debate over whether they're a little uh, noisier than most in terms of being like as hard-earned as primary assists, but I still operate on the assumption that a secondary assist can be a little more influenced by luck. And then you see those primary assists came on an Alex Ovechkin. Like, yeah, he passed it to Ovechkin. Ovechkin scored. Good for him. Um, 
that's it. Like, I, so yeah, I don't see anything actually changing in his game. There's just a few circumstances that seem to be favoring him. Yeah. Okay. I agree with you. I just wanted to dig into it a little bit. Like in the end of the day, you're saying like, you're, that's why you're the fantasy hockey robot. You're able to think above, you know, just looking at this recent stretch and say, look, I'm just as into Dmitry Orlov now as I was a few weeks ago. And I'm sure a few weeks ago you would have said, Hey, He's always decent for a stream because there's a chance he'll pass to Ovechkin or he'll pass to someone who passes to Ovechkin. Ovechkin's going to score. He's almost at 50 goals. Once again, I think he scored two goals yesterday to bring him up to 48. So I'm very excited for another 50-goal season for Ovechkin because he didn't hit it last year. It was very disappointing when he got so close, 49. Uh, Anyways, we're on Washington. So far, uh, we've been shooting blanks here. Like, I got you on Rupe Hints. You said you liked him. Then after that, you've been poo-pooing everyone I've brought up. And not to say I'm wrong, let's see if we can get the next one. Brett Connolly. He is kind of on a nice stretch. He's got two assists and then one assist in his last couple of games. He assisted on an Ovechkin goal yesterday, which got me excited for a second that maybe he was on Ovi's line. But I see that overall in the game, he's been a third liner playing with Eller and Haglin. Like I said, Washington does have that great schedule next week. So it'd be so nice to find someone that you could potentially stream. Jacob Verana is available in some leagues. He's not available in any of my leagues. Uh, though, usually like Jacob Verana, who you know seems like he's in better deployment. He's playing on the second line with Backstrom and Oshie most often. He only has 43 points on the season. Connolly has 40. They're not even that different. Uh, so if Verona's gone, are we into Connolly at all? And even if they're both available, is there any reason to expect Brett Connolly to be better than Verona? Or am I really like just fishing here and I need to move on to some bigger name players? You're fishing. And for anybody hoping you're, you're going to get some bigger name players, I, actually, I don't know. There's a whole lot coming up. I, we're almost done. But you're right. This has been sort of a, a litany of free agent fodder in which guy might just might be able to keep up some measure of production. And Brett Connolly is somebody who I've actually had as a deep free agent bid or a backup bid or like my fourth backup bid all season long. Connolly hasn't been so reliable, but he's been reliable enough to be worth at least considering for a stream. He's pointed in 30 of his 72 games played so far this season. You could find players with better odds of pointing. You could find players with worse odds, um, but it's reasonable. It's a reasonable chance. So I'm trying to be optimistic here, Elon, after poo-pooing Dmitry Orlov and Connor Murphy and Brendan Perlini and Vinny Hinestroza. I'm trying to be a little more rosy colored, uh, but I don't like Brett Connolly more than Jacob Verana. I definitely prefer Jacob Verana because he's playing with Oshie and Backstrom and he's playing like 14 to 16 minutes a night while Brett Connolly only has like 10 or 12 minutes a night on the third line to work with. And that's really limiting. Yeah. Okay. That's fair. In fact, I, I'm so bored with Brett Connolly that I started looking at Twitter and I saw a really funny tweet by Elliot Tweeford, who's a Ducks uh, beat writer. And he wrote, Corey Perry with a monster shift ends up sliding into the net. Puck count, <laughs> players don't. <laughs> so Perry did get something in the net, but it was himself and not a puck. Okay. Uh, more defensemen to bring up. Here's a bigger name for you, Brian. So Tori Krug has been going through concussion protocol and his timetable to return is unknown. So I guess we're kind of shifting into a little bit of injury talk here. We are going to end the show with a bit of injuries and outjuries, uh, but I guess right on schedule, we have Charlie McAvoy heating up. He's got five points in his last six games. He's been getting top power play this last couple of games with Tory Krug out. I assume McAvoy is a must add if he's somehow available while Krug is out ahead of like the Orlovs and the Chernaks and the Murphys of the world. Not even a question. Yes, absolutely. And like, let alone McAvoy's deployment, we always say the knock on him is he doesn't take shots, but he's taken 11 shots in his last five games, which is very un-McAvoy-like. He's actually been doing this even uh, for a little while now. Over his last 20 games, Charlie McAvoy has taken 36 shots, and we're used to like one shot or less 
per game. So expect McAvoy to keep adding an extra shot here or there with the added responsibilities that he has while Tori Krug is out. It'd be really weird if that stopped all of a sudden. So uh, don't hold me to it. It is uh, confusing to me and I don't know what to make of these extra shots McAvoy is taking uh, but yes I prefer him I mean of course it depends on what category contributions you want if you want someone who you know is going to contribute to your peripheral stats then you probably want Chernak and maybe Murphy um, but I would like McAvoy absolutely ahead of Orlov regardless of what categories are counted in your league and especially he's he's the guy I want most if you're looking just for points yeah, I think either way, you grab McAvoy and then you drop someone else if you need those peripherals because you want to have that top power play guy on Boston playing with Marshad and Bergeron and maybe even David Pasternak because apparently Pasternak is scheduled to practice with the team tomorrow. Does that mean he'll be back for Tuesday's game? I don't know. I hope so because I would really love to activate him just in time for like a couple semifinals. Uh, so yeah, definitely something to watch if you're a Pasternak owner. Or if you're an owner of someone like Danton Heinen, who could get bumped from the top line with Pasternak returning. Though, just a reminder, Danton Heinen was actually playing on the top line before Pasternak got hurt. Pasternak, remember, had been playing on the second line with Krejci. So we'll have to wait and see how things look. We'll see how that practice goes tomorrow. I'm going to be watching Boston Twitter to see what's going on with David Pasternak. That's a really good reminder, Elon. I own Danton Heinen and David Pasternak and... Before you reminded me, I was just thinking, oh, yeah, when Pasternak comes back, I just drop Heinen right away. Uh, now I'll have to think twice and look at who else on my roster I might be able to let go of. Because Danton, well, but Danton Heinen hasn't even been great on that top spot, right? He almost reminds me of like when Cody Eakin was playing with uh, Sagan and Ben on the top line in Dallas for a while or any sort of underwhelming third wheel. So he's not the most exciting player. He doesn't help you in a whole lot of categories. But hey, when he hits, he hits. I mean, he hasn't been like an all-star. I mean, at the end of the day, he is Danton Heinen, but he does have, he had like a four-game point streak before going pointless in his last couple. He had three shots in his last game. What do you expect, man? I mean, but it is good. Like, who would you rather have? Let's say Heinen stays on line one. Do you want him or do you want Rupe Hints? I want Rupe Hints. Damn, I would take Heinen if he's playing if he's playing with Bergeron and and Marchand. Just because like those guys are so good. Like just like with Brent Burns, I want to even just take a step back. Could we just like talk about how great Marchand and Bergeron are? They're both on pace to have career years. Just like I said, Brent Burns is. 30-year-old Brad Marchand had one goal and one assist yesterday. That brought him to 87 points in 71 games. That broke his career high of 85 points, and he's still got like like 10 games to go, so he might get up to 100. He's on pace to hit 100 if he could keep this up for the rest of the season. I kind of think he's going to get there. Like, Marchand is so, so good. I know that people hate him for different reasons. Maybe he's a bit dirty, whatever. The licking thing was kind of weird. But at the end of the day, like, Brad Marchand, so, he's so good. And then Bergeron, like, just as good. A goal and assist also yesterday. That brought him to 67 points in 56 games. Even with the time that Bergeron has missed this season, he's only a point away from his career high of 68 points. So I, I kind of have a similar question to what we were discussing with Burns. Like, what do you do? Like, obviously, for the rest of this year, these guys are money. There's no questions to be asked about them. You want them in your lineup as many times as you can. But what do you like? Most of the time, when players hit their 30s, you think they're going to start going on the downside. These guys are both uh, trending up. Obviously, it also helps that the NHL there's just more goals happening overall, and that's helping. But like in a keeper league. I feel like people, again, are going to like not, especially Bergeron, who's 33. People are going to say, yeah, like, you know, now's a good time to sell him because he's going to go down soon. But this guy is doing the best he's ever done. They're doing so well. And a big reason for that is their 
Power Play Production. They have already both surpassed or are sure to surpass last year's Power Play Production. And one reason for that is that their on-ice shooting percentage on the Power Play this year is over 20%. That Boston Power Play has just been on fire. And that's helped Brad Marchand to get to 30 Power Play points in 71 games. Last year, he had 23 Power Play points in 68. The year before, it was 24 Power Play points in 80. Elon, do you know how many Power Play points Brad Marchand had the year before that? Probably like so few, 10. Yeah, you're close. Eight. Like I, I just, I love my favorite hockey thing is that Brad Marchand only started playing. This is only his third year seeing top unit power play time. What a world. And uh, Patrice Bergeron has seen a similar surge in his power play numbers. So that is what's uh, pacing them to be as successful as they have been in their overall point totals relative to the rest of their careers. I'm not sure if that's going to be something that's sustained. So again, you have a Brent Burns situation where these guys uh, at an unexpected age are having a career year and you're trying to figure out in a keeper league, well, how exactly do I manage that value? Yeah, just, uh, I don't know. It's, I, I, I have no words. Like this Boston team, you just want to get in on this top line. And like Jake DeBrusque and all these other guys who just get a chance to play with these guys always have so much value just because they're playing with such amazing players. They've got that great exposure, as Pete Jensen would say. Year in, year out, that Bruins line is the best or one of, if not the best line in hockey. Yeah, along with Kucherov, Point, and whoever, Tyler Johnson at the moment. Uh, and me. And Brian. Can I throw, I, don't be mad, I want to throw one more defenseman at you who Ugh. people are going to snooze about. But this guy's like super hot. How can I not mention someone who has eight points in their last eight games and plays four games next week? Like people need D. So I got to talk about Brett Pesci on Carolina. Like I said, eight points in his last eight games. Like I remember a, a few weeks ago, I keep saying a few weeks ago, like I don't even know the whole season just went by so fast. It's such a blur. But at some point we were talking about Jacob Slavin, who was on a great run. And at the time I was saying Slavin actually had more points than Hamilton and Falk. Uh, we have like now Pesci's another non Hamilton, non Falk Carolina defenseman getting a ton of points. So I should say Hamilton and Falk are actually doing decently lately. Anyway, are you seeing anything from Brett Pesci to make you think that he can continue getting these points? Or is he in a similar category to uh, Dmitry Orlov? You're like, hey, thanks for the points, but I don't expect them to continue. Yeah, that's exactly it. There's something fishy (laughs) about Brett Pesci's production. And uh, I can't expect it'll sustain. His minutes are the same. His shot rates are the same. Yes, he has five shots in his last two, which is fantastic. Elon, do you know how many shots he had in the eight games before that? Six. Three shots. Ooh, that's not good. Yeah, but he had seven points. Like, this isn't how things work in the NHL. So uh, I'm glad Brett was able to get in on so much offense, but it's not something you can count on to continue. I've said that so many times this episode. But Elon, you're right. Like, in a deep league, sometimes these are the the runs you just want to try and catch, right? So somebody like Pesci or Orlov might be one of the best guys available or the only guy from a team that has the schedule that you need who's available. And so go for it. Uh, I'm just saying that none of them should be your first choice or you shouldn't be uh, betting a whole lot that they are going to help you out. What I'm curious about, Brian, maybe let us know in the chat room if you have an opinion. Like, let's say next week, Brett Pesci ends up having a good week. Let's say he gets three points in his next four games. Next week, can we come on the show and I can be like, hey, Guys, I brought up Brett Pesci, and look, he did well, so you're welcome. Or do we have to go on and say, guys, really sorry, 
Brian said that Brett Pesci wasn't going to be good and he turned out to not be good. Like, I wonder, because people who listen to the show, maybe they don't need, like, maybe some people want your, I'm sure everyone wants your analysis, but I'm sure they also just want to get, like, a roundup of which players are hot. And then at the end of the day, they have to decide. Brian is saying he's not seeing anything to tell you that Brett Pesci's any different than he was two weeks ago, but we're acknowledging that he's on a hot streak and hot streaks sometimes continue, right? Like, if we would have asked you this a week ago, you would have said it's not going to continue. And then it obviously did continue for this past week. So uh, I think that was a very good rundown. And I appreciate just knowing whether or not there's something different about what he's doing or if he's just kind of, you know, like you said, like he's getting a couple more shots in these last two games. But overall, he's been getting all these points without getting many shots. And that is generally a sign that he's getting a bit lucky. Same partners, same minutes, same deployment, same shot rates. Yeah, exactly. Yawn. Okay, uh, since we're on Carolina, we should mention that uh, incorrectly spelled first name Michael Furland is back from injury, but he hasn't gotten back in the top six. Andrei Svechnikov has been playing on the second line with Tara Vinen and Stahl, and he scored a goal yesterday versus Buffalo. He also had two goals and one assist on Monday versus Colorado. So there's been a couple big games from Andrei Svechnikov recently, and like I said, he's getting this newly great deployment with Tara Vinen and Jordan Stahl. So could be a sneaky guy to stream in for next week. People might not realize that he's gotten this bump in his deployment. Might think, oh yeah, I saw before. Like Svechikov throughout the season has been pretty quiet, but he has had a couple good games here and there, which has actually brought him up to 18 goals, which is pretty good. He's going to probably hit, well, he could hit 20 goals this year. Maybe he could even do it by the end of next week because Carolina plays four times. Like I said, and Svechikov on the second line, I could see him scoring a couple goals. So he's someone that I would definitely take a look at if you have space for him. And since we're on Carolina, got to give huge props to Petr Morazic, who's been fantastic lately, seems to have taken the net from Curtis McElhenney. Like, Morazic played three games in a row before McElhenney finally got the start yesterday versus Buffalo on the second half of a back-to-back. Uh, McElhenney got the win, but again, I don't know how much credit you want to give because Buffalo's been so quiet lately. Uh, so, Brian, I guess we were already comparing Montembeau with Grubauer. If Petr Morazic is available, are you going to take Morazic over Grubauer if you need that third goalie on your team? I am. I love the way Carolina's playing lately, and Morazic has been doing just fine, right? He's actually looking like he could be a reliable NHL goaltender, which is not a look he even had uh, in the first part of the season while playing with Carolina, to the point that, of course, Curtis McElhenney was getting the majority of the starts. But lately, uh, Morazic has been on a great run, and McElhenney has not. Right. uh, McElhaney's last game was really good. He stopped 35 of 37. But before that, uh, that was the game he gave up eight goals uh, against Winnipeg. He stopped 21 of 29. And then the game before that, he gave up four goals on 38 shots to Boston for an overtime loss, which like is still okay, but it's not impermeable. Uh, in terms of you know him really getting a stranglehold on the crease, so I expect Mrazek. Like I think it's a reasonable thought that Mrazek is going to play at least half the games going forward with a shot at two thirds. Although you could probably say the same thing about McElhaney. Okay, I think Mrazek is the guy now. Like until he blows it, I think Mrazek's going to get more starts moving forward. And I think I'll agree with you. I'll rank him ahead of those guys. Montembeau has gotten through the first period, no other goals against against Anaheim. But I'll stop bringing him up. Maybe I'll bring him up one more time at the end of the show. Brian, let's end with some injuries and outros. Usually we start with them. Let's do quick hits on some injuries and outros right at the end. We got to mention that David Perron finally returned to the Blues yesterday. Jumped right onto the top line with Ryan O'Reilly and Shen, and also onto the top power play. Of course, Tarasenko was out, which is why there's this open spot on the top line. 
Perron assisted on a Vince Dunn goal in the 5-1 route of the Penguins yesterday. And then he had another great game today. He scored a goal and took five shots in the 4-3 shootout loss to Buffalo. By the way, uh, yesterday, Binnington stopped 40-41 and had a good game. Today, Jake Allen was okay, 31-34. I don't want to get into the whole St. Louis goalie situation again. Looks like we're still, I don't know, pretty much up in the air. But as far as David Perron goes, he's a guy you used to be skeptical of. But at this point, I feel like he's got to be a must-add, like well above of Rupe Hints, right? At least until Tarasenko is back. He's got 18 points in his last 15 games. Fantastic. He'll also be like a fun guy to discuss over the summer because he's on a 65-point pace this season and rising, right? He was slow at first, but he's been so great lately. Uh, Last season, as we know, he had that 77-point pace with Vegas. He had 66 points in 70 games. So David Perron, rest of the season, if he's out there in free agency playing on the top line with O'Reilly and Shen, please don't tell me that you're going to say that you don't think he could do well there. Uh, Yeah, absolutely. I love him on that top line. It makes up for the fact that he has been, in my opinion, extremely fortunate with his point production so far this year. I own him in the Cupful, and he was injured during crucial matchups. And that was really unfortunate. I missed him. But I was also really trying hard to sell high on him at one point because I went back and I manually counted. This is just before he got injured back in mid-January. Every goal scored while Perron was on the ice since December 22nd, the span of 16 games, Perron had a point on. He had a 100% IPP for almost a month, 17 points over 16 games on 17 goals for scored while he was on the ice. He also had a 12% on ice shooting percentage at the time. So this run is, in my opinion, not what David Perron is capable of. Um, it's great. He's doing a wonderful job of of somehow hitting the score sheet every single night. But I mean, obviously David Perron is not somebody who is going to keep scoring for another 14 game point streak. But I also wonder, uh, like he seems more like a, uh, you're going to hate me for saying this, but like a two points every three games sort of guy rather than a point per game player. Of course, if he's playing with Shannon O'Reilly in St. Louis, that is a fantastic place for him to keep getting production just by virtue of playing with some really great players. And he's also pretty good himself. I'm trying to like not take him down entirely, but I I do really want to make the point that he has been very fortunate. Two of the big flags of variance that we look at when we're trying to say whether a player's production is sustainable is we look at their IBP and we look at their on-ice shooting percentage. And for Perron during this run, both have been sky high. Okay, so I think this is, it's more of a note like for projecting for next year and deciding where to draft him because also Tarasenko will be back next season, <laughs> hopefully also this season at some point. Uh, but yeah, for now, you got to add him on the top line, top power play and, you know, uh, percentages be damned, right? Okay, uh, let's move on now to actually, Brian, I didn't have this in the notes, but I did want to bring up Pittsburgh really quickly because I saw that this guy, Bluger, Teddy Bluger, just scored a goal for Pittsburgh. And the reason why he did so, and it's assisted by Phil Kessel, looks like he's playing on a line with Kessel and Brian Rust because Evgeny Malkin is hurt. So hopefully it's just a one game thing, but you never know with a Malkin injury. And by the way, Brian Rust is back. So this is an, it's an injury situation right now in Pittsburgh. And I guess Teddy Bluger might be the beneficiary playing with Phil Kessel and Rust. I don't know, just really quickly, like who is Teddy Bluger? <laughs> Am I pronouncing his name right? And he scored a goal today. Do you expect him to score any more goals if Malkin is out? Uh, well, I mean, it's one thing to be playing on Malkin's line with Malkin. It's another to be taking his spot on Malkin's line. And you have to think that maybe there's going to be a line shuffle. Like if the Penguins know Malkin, I don't know. I don't want to get too into it. But if you're wondering who he is, uh, he's Latvian. 
picked in the second round, 52nd overall by Pittsburgh back in 2012. Uh, He's 24 years old, and he's had a pretty good season in the AHL this year. His best as a pro. This is his third full pro season, uh, and he had 39 points, 21 of them goals in 45 games before uh, being called up to the Penguins, uh, in which he's played a minor role and had six points in 18 games in that role. So uh, keep an eye on the lines. We'll see if Teddy Bluger has a whole lot to offer. Yeah. And also Jared McCann has stuck on the top line for another week. Hasn't been as exciting of a week this week as it was last week. So we'll see how long that lasts. Also, uh, Chris Letang, they, they teased that he was practicing with the team and he may even be back this weekend for the two games. He, he wasn't, but who knows? Maybe next week. So that's obviously great news if you're a Latang owner and maybe bad news if you're a Justin Schultz owner. You might have to look elsewhere for your top power play production if Latang finally returns. Of course, we'll have to see what else happens with Malkin. So Pittsburgh, always a frustrating team with injuries, and it's too bad for them that they're getting these right before the actual NHL playoffs. Another team with a big defense injury, Thomas Shabbat, is week to week on the Sens with a broken toe. He had already been so cold, so I feel like his fantasy owners shouldn't be too upset. Like there were a couple of people who post on Facebook like oh no more bad luck for me Thomas Shabbat is injured bah but it's like come on you probably should have considered dropping him anyway so obviously I feel bad for Shabbat having a broken toe but for his fantasy owners like at least now you don't have to struggle with the decision of whether to keep him or not you could throw him in your IR or drop him and move on because he had been looking like a loser for a while it, it's so crazy this sends team like minus Thomas Shabbat still destroyed the Leafs yesterday I don't know how they did it let me throw out a couple names at you that might be worth considering just because I guess we have do there's an injury so usually i talk about some players on this team the guy taking over on the top power play is chris jam will who i believe we talked about before when shabbat missed a couple of games so he's back there on pp1 he has points in two straight games so maybe you could do worse than chris jam will if you need a defenseman for next week that potentially could get you a power play point uh, uh ottawa plays wednesday thursday saturday and it's it's on a western road trip against vancouver calgary and edmonton so you could wait till wednesday and then get three games and four nights that might not be so bad if you want to get defenseman Christian Wolanin. Another guy that I'll bring up, uh, patron Matthew asked us to talk about a guy named Max Verano. Max Verano? Probably Max Verano. I'm going to go with that. Verano. He has joined the team recently, and he went right to play with, I think, the top line, Brady Kachuk and J.B. Pajot yesterday, and he had an assist yesterday, and he also has seven shots in two games. So maybe you could tell us who this guy is, and if he's someone also to maybe consider adding for that three games and four days next week. So you're asking me if we should add either of these two Ottawa Senators players. Yeah, I I mean, or at least you can tell me if you have any thoughts about them worth sharing or if you're just going to say yawn and move on. Like, Willannon, like I said, top power play and Verano playing on a good line. And I just don't know who he is. So I'm just curious. So is he a guy with offensive pedigree? I don't even know this guy. So Verano was just a a college free agent signing. Uh, Somehow the Sens have a pretty good record at landing these guys. I don't know what they tell the college free agents, and I'm not sure if the college free agents follow the NHL. I'm not sure. I I guess what they see is a wide open opportunity to contribute. And so Verano can come in and have a a somewhat significant role right off the bat. So maybe he likes that. Uh, Unfortunately for anybody looking for fantasy potential, one, he's on Ottawa, and two, it's really rare to find that in any of these college free agent signings. Same thing uh, with the guy who just signed with Detroit, whose name is uh, Nufkin, Rufkin. I'm I'm confusing this with a book title I saw recently. So uh, yeah, you know who I'm talking about. Um, 
That's terrible podcast hosting. Elon, can you find the name? In any case, I'm just saying that these college free agents generally do not pan out offensively. Like they're good middle six players. Look at Jimmy VC as one example of someone who was super hyped and just did not turn out to be uh, fantasy relevant unless, of course, he's paired with someone like Mika Zibanejad who can pull him up and down the ice and get him points here and there. So that's why I am very cool to Max Verano. And then I'm going to mention Christian Wolanin by just saying uh, if we weren't, if we were talking about dropping Thomas Shabbat uh, because nobody was left in Ottawa, then I'm not that interested in Christian Wolanin. Yeah, you could do worse. Like I'd prefer Wolanin to Orlov and maybe even to Brett Pesci, um, but not a whole lot of players I would like ahead, uh, like that I would like Wolanin more than. And by the way, since we're mentioning him, it's his birthday, not when you're listening to this, but on Sunday, March 17th. So happy birthday, Christian Wolanin. Yeah, I guess the thing is, of course, we were saying to drop Thomas Shabbat as like a main guy to hold on your roster. But if Shabbat had been dropped and then Ottawa was playing Wednesday, Thursday, Saturday, I might have suggested grabbing him if you had an open D spot for all three of those days. So maybe Wolanin could fit that bill. Of course, not a guy you're going to want to depend on rest of the season, but someone to consider if you're in a super deep league. Let's go now. A couple more. Uh, Carter Hart is back for Philly. His first game back versus Washington on Thursday didn't go so well. He let in four goals out of 31 shots in a loss to the Capitals. Uh, He's got another tough game today versus Pittsburgh. Like I said, Teddy Bluger got one past him. But overall, 32 saves on 33 shots so far. We're uh, with seven minutes left in the third period. So it looks like Carter Hart is having a good game. But unfortunately, getting no goal support. Usually Philly's pretty good at scoring goals. So that's bad luck for him. Should we just kind of assume it's going to be 50? Until we see otherwise, can I just say it's going to be 50-50 with Carter Hart and Brian Elliott for the rest of the season? Like, Elliott's been pretty solid. He has a 9-13 save percentage since returning from injury. And that even doesn't really do him justice because that includes that crazy game against the Leafs where he stopped 44 of 51 shots, which sounds really hard. And, like, even though that ends up with a bad save percentage, obviously he kept Philly in that game for whatever that's worth. So I don't know. I just feel like Brian Elliott seems solid. Carter Hart is obviously the future. And if I had to guess, I'd say it's just going to be 50-50. I don't see a reason why they're going to start one over the other for a lot of games in a row. So curious if you agree or disagree. I agree. It's hard to pick the guy who's going to get the ball and run with it. But the good news, if you own either guy, is that they have a pretty good chance of doing all right for a team that has a good chance of giving them enough goal support to win, even if they don't. Uh, the Flyers have been on a nice little run. James Van Riemsdyk, I have been playing against the same uh, the same team for two weeks in a row in the Cup Bowl because I played them in the last week of the regular season and they're my first week playoff matchup. And I'm going to, I lost the first time, I'm going to win this time, but I'm so happy to be moving on from playing. Like she has the entire Flyers offense. She has Couturier, Van Riemsdyk, and I feel like Claude Giroux, like I, I can't even, oh no, Voracek. I'm tired of looking at them. I'll be so happy to move on. But yes, they are very helpful to whoever their starter is on any given night. So I'd be happy to own either one. Just know that you're unlikely to get a long run of starts with either of them. Yeah, Brian, you got very lucky for uh, Voracek to be suspended for those two games. So that probably helped you in this matchup in your relegation playoff matchup. You left out that word. Ouch. (laughs) I would have won anyway, but it still stings, Elon. Yeah, uh, so Dylan Larkin returned to the Red Wings yesterday. Didn't do anything. Couple shots. Uh, 2-1 win over the Islanders. Brian, you and I in our joint league, we still have Larkin in our IR plus spot. And Detroit plays next week, just Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, at the Rangers, at St. Louis, and at Vegas. So three tough road games. Well, maybe the Rangers isn't a tough road game. But, you know, three road games and St. Louis and Vegas are both two tough teams. 
should we be excited to drop someone and get Dylan Larkin back in our lineup? Like he's obviously had an amazing season. He's at 62 points in 66 games at the same time. Nyquist is gone. Uh, Mike Green is gone for whatever that's worth. Uh, these tough three road games. Maybe we shouldn't be expecting too much from Dylan Larkin next week. Like, I'm curious to know what you think of him for the rest of the season. He played with Mantha and Helm yesterday, like top line, top power play deployment. But just Detroit is kind of a little bit of a concerning team to me. So I'm just curious to get your take on what you expect from Dylan Larkin. They are concerning. They're not a team that has had a whole lot of luck scoring goals. And part of that is because they traded away Nyquist uh, just a couple games before Larkin got injured and Mike Green out of the lineup. So now that Larkin's back, we get to see what he can do. Uh, I like Anthony Mantha is probably the best fit alongside Larkin of all the remaining uh, Red Wings players. But yeah, you've got to be cautious and know that, hey, maybe, just maybe, he's not going to be able to keep up the incredible pace he was on with the loss of Detroit's most offensive blue liner and this line mate who he's producing really sustainably with. I hope Larkin and Mantha can do some stuff together, but it's not as much of a slam dunk as it was uh, when Nyquist and Green were in the lineup. So I guess that's kind of a hedgy answer. If you've got a full lineup and Larkin is essentially a coin flip difference between him and someone else in in, like that you're choosing to roster then of course keep him on the bench I guess that's a or keep him in your IR I guess that's an obvious answer is there like a player Elon on our dynasty team that we need to compare him to to decide whether or not to bring him out of IR well I was thinking of dropping Sam Reinhardt but I know you're super high on him but we actually are it's the finals next week so I think that probably Sam Reinhardt is the one who's gonna go and uh yeah I don't know. Yeah, I, I can I, see that being really close between the two. I, I would lean Larkin too, but it's like both guys are in similar positions where they're just potentially in a rut that could last for a large part of the rest of the year. Yeah, the thing that would frustrate me is if we drop Reinhardt to get Larkin in, then we put Larkin in on Tuesday and we have to sit someone else to put Larkin even in our lineup. Then the guy who we sit, let's say we sit like uh, Andres Janssen, we'll probably sit him to play Larkin. And then what if Janssen has a big game and Larkin does nothing? Then the next day, Sam Reinhardt has a big game. And all of a sudden it's like, damn, I wish we would have just, you know, left Larkin in IR. We would have gotten these two good games. So it's, it's a bit of a scary situation, but hey, I'm happy to be in the finals. We'll see how it goes. For the record, Dylan Larkin just with one point in four games since Nyquist was sent to San Jose and just eight shots in those games, which is like, okay. But before that, he was getting like seven shots, nine shots. And then, of course, there was some one, two, three shots game, but several five shots, six shot games. So uh, it's concerning. Like you can't just bank on him. It's the same thing with Zach Parisi, right? These are guys that you could totally bank on all season long and then sort of the the rug was pulled out from under them and now it's a question mark of if their production can get back on track and not having uh, having Larkin out of the lineup took some time away from us to try and figure out the answer to that so the stakes are higher at this point and that's unfortunate but I think I'd still trust him a smidge above Sam Reinhardt but I'm still very wary Okay, well, we'll we'll talk about it offline and figure out what we want to do with this lineup. It's definitely not a done deal. Let's end the show talking about Marc-Andre Fleury, who just, like, after I was done prepping, I saw news that he's day-to-day with a lower body injury, which is interesting because that means Malcolm Subban, I guess, becomes the starting goalie on Vegas for however long Fleury is out, and we don't know how long that will be yet, or at least I don't. Uh, Subban has not been good this season. Lately, like, his last start was on March 10th against Calgary. He led in five goals on 30 four shots his previous start was back on february 28th against florida and he also led in five goals in that game on 37 shots so it's been a rough go for him though actually his previous 
one, two, three, four, five games before that were really good. He had five really good games. So I guess Vegas is hoping that Malcolm Subban is going to be able to get back to his, I guess, December, January, February form where he had five good games and not this most recent two games. Uh, Brian, so I guess like we're comparing all of these guys. By the way, we haven't even brought up Anton Hudobin, who I guess if Ben Bishop stays out, Hudobin becomes someone who might be worth owning and he might still be available in free agency for you. Tough luck, by the way, to Hudobin. Two losses on Friday and Sunday, even though he played well in both games, but he lost today also in overtime against Vancouver. And I really thought that would be an easy win for Hudobin. But like you said, there's no such thing as an easy win. So, okay, we were, you already had uh, Grubauer ahead of Montembeau, correct? And then you then said, I don't even know where we are. How do you rank Malcolm Subban with these guys? Is he someone that you'd be rushing to add? Doesn't seem like as good a goalie potentially, but he might be on the best team of all of these goalies we've discussed that you might be able to get a starting goalie out of if the starter is actually injured. Uh, I still like Morazic more. Yeah, but okay, Morazic's probably not available. Like to be okay, so I agree with you. Let's say Morazic is out of the picture, and we're talking about Grubauer versus Malcolm Subban, uh, or uh, I guess Hudobin. Who would take of those three? I don't know. The thing with Subban is he's like obviously on the best team of the bunch, but he plays the least of the bunch, and he's probably the least reliable of the bunch on his career. Like the last two years in Vegas. He is a quality start percentage uh, just barely above 40%. So most of the time you can expect he'll blow up your numbers. Um, and like he's four and seven so far this year. So I I don't know. It's really tough. I, I'd like to say Subban, but I think I might lean Grubauer. Yeah. And if Hudobin's available, I think I might even go him number one. Yeah, I will take Hudobin number one as well. We don't know how long Bishop will be out. Apparently Bishop was practicing today, so he might be back even by the next game. And also by the time you listen to this, uh, Malcolm Subban will have played because they're playing actually right as we finish the show. The game is starting between Edmonton and Vegas. So we'll see how badly Connor McDavid hurts uh, our liking of Malcolm Subban. So uh, we'll see how that goes. Brian, that's it. We're done another show. This has been a blast as we are on this fast train a rocket train towards the end of the season i think we got two three weeks left i guess starting next week we start we got to start doing our thing where we play sad music and talk about all the teams who lost so if you have been eliminated from your playoffs you could tweet at us at keeping carlson and uh, we'll figure something out we'll tweet something out to let you know how you could let us know about your team and uh too bad but if you're still in it Good luck next week. Hopefully we've given you some good advice and hopefully you'll be able to find someone that could help take you to the championship. And we'll be with you every week, every Sunday night to try to get you there. Uh, so yeah, thanks very much for listening. If you like the show, uh, you heard how uh, reviews on iTunes affect us positively and negatively. So if you really want to make our day, you could give us a five-star review on iTunes and we'll really thank you for it. I wish iTunes had a way where I could like respond and be like, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. I do it to every single one if I could, but I can't. So I won't. Uh, other things you could do is you could become a patron of Keeping Carlson. I know it's near the end of the year and special news for you right now. Both this is news for existing patrons and potential wannabe patrons starting now. $1. All you have to do is give us $1 per month and we'll give you access to all of the patron perks we have available. This will be good all throughout the summer. So you'll get our access to our Facebook group, which is very busy over the summer. We're giving a lot of advice, having a lot of fun fantasy talk, trying to prepare for the next season. Uh, you'll get our monthly patron cast, which we'll still continue to do over the summer. We actually have a really fun one planned for uh, a couple of months from now like for the end of april so I'll, I'll leave that a secret for now but it's going to be a good one also you get our weekly show notes i don't know you can check it out keepingcarlson.com slash patron ignore everything you see on the site about needing to pay five dollars starting now one dollar you get everything and that's also for existing patrons feel free to go and decrease your pledge to a dollar right now and you'll continue to get 
all of the perks moving forward. I hope you'll stick with us over the summer because we hope to have another great season of Keeping Carlson next season. And I hope that you've found value in the perks that we've given you in exchange for your support. With that, Brian, let's cue the outro music. And why don't you go ahead and read us the credits? All right. This episode of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast was presented by Dauber Hockey and powered by our patrons. It was researched with help from Dauber Hockey, Frozen Pool, Dauber Prospects, Natural Stat Trick, Evolving Hockey, Charting Hockey, Cap Friendly, Hockey Goalies, Hockey Reference, Hockey Viz, Hockey Database, Elite Prospects, Roto World, and Yahoo! Great job, as always. Brian, this has been so, so much fun. Good luck to us in our joint league where we're going to the finals next week. So next week, you guys will hear if we're happy or sad. Uh, Good luck again to everyone. And we will catch you all with another live episode next week. So that's Sunday, 8 p.m. You can join us, keepingcarlson.com slash live, or you'll get this show in your feed on Monday or Sunday night, as per usual. Bye-bye. And also keep on keeping Carlson. You should do that too. Even if he's injured, you think he's going to come back and play a regular... He might play a regular season game, right? I feel like he needs to at least tune up for the playoffs. I think I also saw that Taylor Hall might get in for a regular season game. So it might be interesting, like, in the last week of the season, you might want to grab a couple of these guys out of free agency if they've been dropped. You get, like, all-star players to help you if your league goes to the end of the week. But the show's done. So we'll continue this conversation next week. Bye, everybody. Bye.